0: Look at this face I know the years are
1: showing Look at this line I still
2: don't know where it's going Well I don't know much <laughs> <laughs> But I know I love you but I And that may be All I need To
1: know <laughs> <That may be> <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Neville is <Durbin. laughs> Live from the Fire and a Hole podcast. <laughs> uh, he was not our guest today, but he's always with us. That's right. <laughs> it's in in hearts. hearts. What did we do today, Richard? We talked to
2: Ball. Yes, and uh, our third host, Danny Lejoie. Yes, Lejoie. Lejoie. Danny Lejoie. Lejoie.
1: So we we uh, I mean, Ara was uh, was a very interesting guest. Uh, we talked about a range of. I mean, it was. Very interesting, the dynamics of it, right?
2: <laughs> it's all over the place. But I, I
1: feel like we're, we're kind of, um, we, we went through a what the fuck are we doing to a super structured format to bat- and then now we just kind of go at it instinctively. Yeah. But it still, it takes on a like organic structure.
2: It's weird how every show is a little bit different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think we got pretty deep into some metaphysics at the beginning. Yeah. We went deep. We got we went spiritual. Deep in the first half, for sure. Then we kind of came up for air, as it were. Yeah, and did some silliness.
2: A lot of stuff about around the creative process. Mm-hmm. You know, what's important. Um, some of like the fluffier artistic things, like in terms of movies, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, we wanted to, we asked Era a little bit about where he came from, and what are some of what were some of his uh, influences, and what led him to the art of filmmaking, and what what it is that captivated him about that particular art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, what his experience, was sort of starting out. And then uh, we got very kind of global and we talked a bunch of silliness. Favorite
2: movies and yeah. we went into some superhero stuff. And yeah, mass as, as market usual. films
1: versus indie films.
2: Trump made his way into the conversation at some point, yes. as he always But
1: does. Kanye didn't. No, no Kanye this no time. No Kanye this time. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, one step at a time, Richard. That's kind of a
2: victory in of itself.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I don't know much. <laughs> but I do know that we had a pretty cool podcast
2: <laughs> that may be all we need
1: to know alright fire in a hole fire in hole
0: you don't have to know how to make a movie if you truly love cinema with all your heart and with enough passion
2: you can't help but make a good movie you don't have to go to school you don't have to know a lens you know a 40 and a 50 and a fuck all that shit crossing the line, none of that shit's important. If you just
1: truly love cinema with enough
2: passion and you really love it, then you can't help but make a good movie. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome to Fire in the home. Yes,
1: I am Richard. I am Jason. And who do we have with us today? Um, I don't know. I think you invited him, so maybe you should introduce him. That's true. Well, we have Era Ball. What's up? Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, man. Talk Thanks for having you. me. Glad to have you, man. Uh, we've been we've been waiting for this for a while. We're happy this finally came together. Yeah, it took a it took a month or two to organize this, but here we are. But to be fair, I mean, uh, you're you're a busy guy. You've been up to stuff, right? Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. we'll get to talking to talk about that a little bit. Looking forward to it. And, as always, our official third wheel. No, <laughs> <laughs> just fucking <laughs> <spoke> with you. <laughs> The man who uh, tried to take over the show a couple of episodes ago. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and is welcome to do so. Yeah, and today, and he's welcome to do so at any time. Anytime, because uh, he's my brother from another mother, and he's your brother from the same mother. From the same mother, Uh, Danny, Danny Lajewall. Danny Lajwa. welcome to the show, guys. Oh, thank you. Welcome to the show once again. It's a, uh, it's an honor i just want to say <laughs> thanks on for having us over yeah yeah thanks for coming i
3: really appreciate it yeah i wanted to talk to you guys uh you know as usual it's always nice to have you guys on this show and uh we yeah, try we try to be a good inter- time we try yeah. to be entertaining yeah mm. thank you
1: it's an honor no so arrow i <laughs> <laughs> fire in I, the hole. I ca- I fired a hole yes so that's <laughs> one of the rules you mean, know, okay if you crack one open right you gotta say it you gotta say fire in a hole okay fire, fire in the, the hole. hole there you go a little tradition there all right so uh Arrow, you're a filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're into some other stuff as well, probably. Like, do uh, are, are you have like a multidisciplinary artist, or, uh, or are you into some other stuff, or is that kind of your your main your main bag?
0: I think that film filmmaking is multi multidisciplinary. Uh, I mean, I can edit, write, direct.
1: Oh, good. A good one. Yeah. Sure. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. That makes And sense. I think
0: that comes through experience too, like world traveling,
1: meeting as many people as possible. And you've you know? done that. You've traveled. Yeah. 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 Okay. So how far back does filmmaking go for you? Like where does it where did it all start for you? I think
0: I think it just started like when I was a kid and the way that I would like take in the information that I was watching. Um, movies more than TV shows viscerally connected with me. I would watch something like uh, I think one of my first memories, I was probably five or six years old, I saw um Never Ending Story. Oh shit! The Dude. scene where yeah. his horse uh-huh. oh, sinks man. into the mud. Yeah. yeah, man. And that touched me. That touched me so much. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know that you know the technique behind it, but the emotion behind it. it. and then from there on, I was just it was one after the other. But I think it really got me when it was about eleven, twelve, and my grandmother. Uh, she showed me. She showed me uh, Citizen Kane, Harold and Maude. I saw the freeze frame in Goodfellows when he's about to to hit his son and then it like freeze framed and you hear the narration over it and I was like, okay, they did something there. I was about thirteen fourteen when I saw that and I started noticing that there was like this whole technique behind it mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you can touch people by like manipulating the way that
1: you shoot something okay
0: or tell the story. were you born here
1: yeah I'm born here in Montreal okay and DG well, what's your background in terms of uh, uh- uh you know racially ethnically or uh right or right, right right
0: my mother's uh my mother's half british and lebanese okay uh so her parents were from i know her father came from the boat he was a merchant marine he had to get the fuck out because uh people were like chasing him and you know yeah, he basically had a mark for death so he had to jump the ship and come to canada and he met my grandmother here she's lebanese grew grew up from a artistic jazz family and then my dad is uh
1: born and raised quebecer so half quebec a quarter leb and a quarter um british wow it's like that's like the montreal story right there you're like a full you're a full-blooded montrealer as far as i can see it yeah i'm a bit of everything yeah okay so but you were born and raised in ndg You're you're an ndg guy
0: yeah yeah i mean i spent a lot of time on the south shore like at the age of uh eight or nine i'd say like my pivotal years were definitely in the city that's where i learned everything you know okay. I'd, I'd hang out with the little mexican kids and we'd like go through the hole in the fence and and run through the tracks like five or ten feet before the train was coming uh uh-huh. so it was, was really on the wrong like, side of the tracks. It was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty crazy upbringing for This sure. was in the the Deege or was it? That's in the Deej. Okay, like and that's why my mom had to get the fuck out cuz it was too crazy. Right. I would like run on top of cars and steal from depenars. I was completely reckless. Was this
1: around like the West Broadway? Uh, neck of the woods or uh yeah it's close to
0: there well it's like uh it's it's like in between Maisonneuve. no it's not on the projects but in the time ndg was a little sketchier than it is now absolutely it's predominantly more white the the area that i live in i actually live right now i live three blocks from where i grew up oh that's
1: pretty cool yeah well the reason i went into that right after asking you about um film is because uh as a filmmaker myself like i as anybody actually as a musician as anybody like where you grew up obviously colors your your you know it builds your your view of the world and your values and and uh the gravity and the physics of everything that you live right it kind of take place there they they, they start there so okay so when you're watching these films as a kid and you this, this stuff is starting to like reach you right you're looking at it as a Canadian or as a, as a Quebecer right you're not or did, what did you feel as an immigrant did you did you feel like you were other at that time I think I never really, and I still,
0: I still did deal with this now. Obviously, I feel, I feel as though uh, my imprint is definitely Quebec. Less than it would be Canada. I think there's definitely something from the French c- culture, and I have to, I have to make that, some, I have to enforce that because I come. What I write is French. What I write is Quebec, and a lot of people will ask me, "Well, why does an anglophone, you know, write French?" Work well. First of all, I'm a I'm bilingual. But I grew up around all this Quebec cinema and these Quebec TV shows. So I think, like, when I, I, I sit down and I go to write something, I think like a French person. But I do not identify with any sort of culture or flag, let's say. I don't believe that we should live in a system where there's borders. And I think growing up, I never really... I never really found that 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 sort of uh, patriotic belief because my parents never instilled that within me. I never grew up with religion. I never grew up with with a certain set of values of this is how I should think. And maybe there were a couple people that tried to instill that within me, but I I could never respond to it. I I could what, some of my first memories were hating to go to the hospital or I would scream to go onto the bus to get to school. Like, I, I, was,
1: I was defying the system before I knew that it was defying the system. Okay, so you just had a problem with authority, or was it just like you didn't want to be given any limits? Absolutely, yeah. I think from a very young age, too. You don't want anyone to dictate what you can, cannot
0: do. When I was two, three years old, I would. my mom would tell me this, I don't remember, but she said I would have this fixation uh, with taking off all my clothes and running naked through the street, and then, oh, yeah. When I, I stopped doing that, she would walk me down the street and I would let go of her hand and run as far as I could and hide in, like, boutiques about 10 blocks away from my mother. Jesus. And sometimes she would spend up to three to four hours to try to find me. Wow. Yeah.
1: As a parent, that fucks me up. <laughs> <That's> terrifying. Because <laughs> I know how long losing track of your kid for, like, five seconds that's like an hour in parent my uh, brain time yeah, uh, yeah where you run through the gamut of possibilities right yeah. so like looking for three four hours i mean i, I guess after like the 10th escape she was like all right let <laughs> me find eventually let me find this boy <laughs> i don't think it was ever easy but you
0: know thank thank whatever it is that uh that was able to just you know protect me your mom sounds like a trooper yeah yeah she's yeah. something man she's yeah. something she's a great mom she would always put me you know on the back of her bike and we drive all over the place and she'd take me to see movies at uh, nfb movies or go to the theater or just check out anything that was like pretty cool and artistic so i had that and that i liked that's you know? huge that's yeah. huge yeah. But
1: you're saying that your grandma was kind of your your uh, your yeah. first pusher, if you will, for movies.
0: Right. I think my mom introduced me to the art scene, but my grandmother really like she showed me what film was all about was and she where it came from.
1: Or did, did she ever Huge. dabble?
0: I mean, my what's interesting about my grandmother is like she could have been a, a big movie star. She acted like she was one.
1: You know, she was larger
0: than life. You'd walk into their home and my grandparents were incredible, incredible, eccentric um, artists. You know, they they were the beatniks of their generation. They lived in an A-frame. Their field was cut out like a big maze. They had cow bones spray-painted and hanging from the trees. You'd walk in and you'd have all the walls spray-painted with giant trees and fruits all over the place. So growing up with that atmosphere, I mean, it it showed me everything. It really opened up. The, the, uh, the path or, or the, the realms to so many different possibilities. So, so her showing me film, like she showed me jazz or, or good cooking or a, a good sense of style. I mean, I, I learned all of that from her. That's great. When you
3: say that you're bilingual, and I know that, that you're great in both uh, French and English. Right. But, uh, do you have a preference at all? Are you more comfortable or more able to express yourself in either uh, language? Well, it depends because
0: I, I definitely, like, my friends are split, right? Yeah. I'll, have, I'll have a big group of French friends, a big group of English friends. But I think artistically, I think like a, like a French person. Okay. For now, anyways, at least for the
1: last, like, uh, seven, eight years. I'd love yeah. to get into what that actually means for you uh, in a bit, if you don't mind. Like, yeah. once we get into the, the art form, like, where because w- for me, that's, this is a very fascinating topic. Um, I mean, I've been here for 30 years, right? I came here as a kid, but I wasn't born here but I was raised in Montreal, but I came here with a certain ethnic cultural package. Uh, very little of it has remained, but in terms of class, in terms of what I think is right and wrong and what is respectable, what isn't, like I'm a, I'm a little bit mixed up, right? And it's been kind of an issue my whole life. So whenever I hear people and their experience growing up here, like that always fascinates me, especially if they're expressing it in some form of art, because it's so fascinating to me to see what, what happens. So for you, I guess, because I was just listening to this this week, how people were talking about how culture, and specifically class, is so much of a bigger deal than your race and your religion. And how class is con- consistently kind of acknowledged in other cultures, in other countries. But in North America, there's this kind of um, strange denial of, of class. Because it, it clashes with, the, with the, uh, the, the fantasy of the American dream. Right. where everyone's on a, supposedly on a, an even keel and able to, able to become anything they want. And because of that, a lot of problems seem to arise from the fact that everyone wants to pretend that there's no such thing as low class, high class, middle class. But in fact, there very much is. And not just economically, right? Well, maybe not a middle class anymore. <laughs> but there's still a middle class like, like culture, right? Right, yeah. And each of these classes have their own language, their own set of values. And a lot of the the problems that seem to come up that are blamed on racial tensions, mm-hmm. uh, religious intolerance and, and gender politics seem to just come from the fact that people think they're saying the same words, but they're not. Because to you, uh, in your where you grew up, you could tell your best friend to go fuck himself. Right. And he just like punch you in the shoulder and laugh it off. And you're talking to someone who that was like high, that, that was like stop the record right there. How right. You can't use that kind of language. You know, that's disrespectful, right? So this, these things are, I think really, there's a reason why shrinks always get you to go back <laughs> to the beginning. Because mm. there's something to it, right? Yeah. Well, Richard, you're a Deej kind of transplant, aren't you? Are you? I know you're originally from the West Island, if I understand correctly. Mm-hmm. But you, you, when I met you, you were like a, a, an NDG, like OG as far as I know.
3: I lived
2: there for like 10 years.
1: Okay. You single-handedly gentrified the uh, <laughs> <laughs> entire...
2: I uh, <laughs> yeah, classed up the joint. For sure. <laughs> you definitely did. Yeah. Especially
1: Girard, oh, yeah. right? You're, yeah, exactly. So Girard was uh, kind of like the divider line.
2: Yeah. There was like the, the building across the street was called like the Crack Towers. Nice. Yeah. It looks like a prison and there was a lot of uh, drugs and stuff. Uh-huh. But uh, that uh, it, it all toned down. Like the, there was like a park right there, and that well, used to be gentr- like a really you
1: gentrified the area,
3: right? Yeah,
2: you know, I ran the skidheads out of the <laughs> out of the park, and you
3: know, then he moved to Verdun, and now he's gentrifying it this area slowly, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The condos already are popping up. Yeah. Good job, man! Surrounding you know, yeah. on the behalf condos up. surrounding him everywhere. Thank yeah, you so much. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm
2: getting rid of you know some of the, the dealers the and you know some of the the gangs. <laughs> you yeah. know, little by little,
1: single handedly. Yeah. Yeah, you can All only right. fight really one gang at a time, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I you know I do it I can yeah. slowly, slowly. Oshalagam
1: is an next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So like you have these people in your life already that have kind of uh, presented you with the possibilities, right? Yeah. Or certainly have boxed you in the way that let's say a traditional maybe household may have, where it's like this is right, this is wrong, this is art, this isn't.
0: Right, and then I had I had my father's side that was. A lot more practical with the way they thought, you know, a lot more logical, working class, family, military, a little, well, in in their beliefs, for sure, you know, it's Sunday mass, uh, work really hard, work for for what you got. And then, you know, you have the other side that's completely liberal. So I had these two, these two parts of my life that were constantly clashing with Mm -hmm. each other. I think they gave me a lot, right, because I think it was if it was all one side then i I wouldn't be like as pragmatic as I am now, but I think if I had the other side, then I wouldn't be as like artistic and and open minded, yeah, so I honestly believe that like every kid should be given these two tools and and I know as a parent, that's the best thing that I could give a a kid if one day I ever have one, yeah,
1: just yeah. to give them a bit of a contrast,
0: right, right, because that's the world we live in, you know. Like you were talking about class, I I think you can't just define it as as one thing. It's a bit of everything. And I think that's what we, as human beings, we have to do is like research all the different types of cultures and, and, and classes and education because it's all important. You know, we all come from something. And I think we, we should be in a world where we could share that
3: and bring it together. Right. Yeah, one of the things that I find really interesting about you, Ara, is that uh, you have one of the best work ethics that, I, that I've seen, where, um, you know, when it's time for you to write your next script, you know, you'll tell your, your close friends, you'll be like, hey, you're not going to see me for the next couple of months, you know, I'm going to be, uh, every night I'm going to be working on this script and, uh, you know, once I'm done with it, then we'll hang out. But for the next little while, you got to understand I'm going to be working. And, and I know that you are actually every night. You're plugging away at it. It's, it's part of a, uh, a work ethic, but
0: it's also because it's a very intense experience for me. Mentally, it's an intense experience. And if I start mixing play with that, right. those ideas will become shifted. So I have to really stay in that moment with those characters, especially when I write a feature. Like if I write a short film, I can write a short film between five and ten days. But if I write a feature film, you know, it's anywhere between two and three months. And I would realize when there are moments, because there are moments when I need a break. There are moments when i'm gonna go see people and uh you know take a couple days and i know mentally I, i'm disconnecting because that moment i need to disconnect from the story but when i'm there with the characters i mean i'm there with them because they're yeah. speaking through me and i think essentially if it, you know that's why it's like yeah it is that 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 work ethic that i get from my father but i also think it's uh it's deeper than that for me like when i was a child i would play a lot with my toys and i couldn't be distracted from that you right. know, I had to sit down. And I have to come home from school, and I pick up all my toys, and they're all stationed at different places in the house. And I literally have to go from like toy to toy and start creating that story within them, and continue till till like the Simpsons was on, and then so I it's not
3: necessarily supper. a uh, deliberate thing. It's something that you're more you're most comfortable doing that that way,
0: right? Because I don't necessarily think I have a great work ethic. I huh. just think I have a, a great emotional attachment to what's happening and i have to be present i realize that if i disconnect from that then the story's not going to go the way it is right i'm not somebody who's going to sit there and write a screenplay for two years i will write it in two three months once or and then i'll review it and and write it a second time and then i can pull myself away from it and know it's done
1: two drafts usually by two drafts you're i'd say
0: one it's like 80 percent done and then there's like all the bits. but the the story itself is usually almost practically finished and the dialogue as well
3: but uh i mean is is it something that you've you've devised this way of working where you think that that's the best way to go about it or is it more just you naturally do that like is it you just feel more most comfortable that way it's
0: definitely a natural ability for me for sure yeah yeah i don't really uh I don't really put much thought into it. It's just like I have to do it, I, and and I just listen to my intuition. Okay, it's time. I gotta write this. I tell everybody, you know, and I'll plan a couple weeks or a couple months in advance. Like I can feel it coming, and I get the the ideas are there, and I tell the right people, and then I have you know the the right entourage to to back me up and be like, okay, this is your time now, do it, and then I'll go into that mental space. But it's it's extremely exhausting. Right. it's extremely exhausting I can write really fast but it takes a lot out of me for sure
3: it's interesting yeah. one of the things like it's uh, I've been working on uh, on a new album recently which you know about and uh, one of the things that I do is is I'll run into roadblocks but then if I'm just working on it uh, if I just continue to try and plug away at it I'm not gonna get anywhere I'm like hitting my head against a wall whereas if I just, if I go for it for a bit, I run into the roadblocks and then I need to, I need to walk away and my subconscious will then be working on it while I'm doing other things. Then I'll, I'll have these breakthroughs. And then the next time I, I sit down, to, I can't wait because I, I have now come up with these, you know, the solutions to these, to these problems, you know, and how's while I was doing long? other stuff. Are you happy with the album? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, I think, I mean, it's the best stuff I've ever done. I, I hope, um, But it's just, it's interesting the difference in in process where you need to be constantly plugging away at it until it's done. Or like I need to take breaks just so that I can solve the... And if I don't, I feel like
0: I can't breathe. Really? Because it's all in me at the same time. I literally need to push it out. It's like a birth. Like a haunting. (laughs) It's like a mental haunting birth that I have to exercise out of my fucking mind. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's cool. That's cool.
1: Does it come to you as a uh, as a, a story? As it come to you as a scene? Has it come to you as dialogue? Is it always different? I mean,
0: oftentimes, and I think this is very common for filmmakers, but it'll be like one song, and one song will will, will be the seedling to an idea. what will be the seedling to the entire skeleton. And within three four hours, I have a whole movie. Sometimes it, it takes about fifteen minutes, and I'm there. Okay. This is fantastic, and I'll 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 sift through many of these moments, and then I'll know when it's right. Because I I can have about maybe a hundred to two hundred of these a year easily. I get them in my dreams. I get them when I wake up in the morning, like constantly. I'm a fucking dictionary for ideas. Do you, like, you write them down generally? Do you record them? No, in your voice? I mean they're all recorded in my head, and I know them all. And I think if they don't stay, it's because they're not meant to. And I think the ones that do stay, I mean, uh, those are pretty special. I was telling my producer actually today because we just made a movie um called Life in the Alley. It's Vidruel is the uh the French name. And uh I'll put a link. I wrote that I wrote that in November. We shot it in December and we're finit we finished the movie a month ago. It took us exactly four months to make this professional short and it's i can't really i'm not at the liberty to say where it's going but it's going to a really big festival and uh we're super psyched and this this thing took like no time at all you know it but then i realized that i realized today i wrote her and i said man i came up with this idea two years ago i actually saw in a conversation that i that i had with someone on facebook because i had to look for a number and I was scrolling through and I saw it and I'm like, oh, my God, I came up with this two and a half years ago. So, yeah, it goes to show that the, the ideas that are meant to stay will stay and c- c- manifest itself in a different way.
1: Yeah, they might just come back later with a different hat on. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So uh, do you visualize? Do you hear both when you get these ideas? I, th-
0: I definitely visualize. I, I don't uh, necessarily hear things, but I definitely like will feel things. If I sit down and write a character, I'll feel what they're telling me. Like, I can definitely, like, get into the mind of, of what's happening. And detach myself from it. Like, not be part of the ego, but be part of, like, the person that's talking. So, I can write... You know, for for a female or for a child or for an old person. For me, there's no problem because it it's not arrow writing this. I just feel like I have the ability to.
1: You're, like you're channeling. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing what the you basically. I mean, without wanting to label it, obviously, but uh, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, talked about the uh, the concept of the muse, right? Right. Which was, if you actually go back to its original concept, was a bit like a haunting. You were, you were. The muse was supposed to come out of the blue and just like seize you, almost like a like a spirit, and invest you with all of these like ideas, and then it's gone. Right, right. and then you had to like seize the moment and and kind of write down the stuff before it left again. Right? Exactly. I thought
2: the muse is more the inspiration rather than the actual ideas themselves.
1: It became known as like someone who something that inspired you, but it was in fact it had like a right, like almost like a ghost like entity right right Uh,
2: but that that ghost uh that ghost brought you the ideas or that ghost brought you the inspiration in order to
1: if i remember your own creative i could be wrong but if i understand correctly it kind of turned you into like a lightning rod i think was the idea okay and that the idea may not even have come from you like mm. it's almost like you were at a direct line to to mount olympus or whatever so
2: you're channeling them. you're
1: channeling some divine or some otherworldly energies yeah, like a medium yeah okay. like lightning's hitting you yeah right which is kind of like what Ara's describing but i'm obviously right. not trying to label it i'm just saying like that's what it sounds like a little bit mm. and it's always been this way yeah okay so how do you develop this do you yeah. I had this at a
0: really young age. And I de- you- I think I started developing it at the a- age of seven or eight. It was definitely my way of like escaping whatever turmoil or fucked up shit was happening around me as a kid. I'd pick up my figurines. I always go back to that because they were like really important part of my life. I'd have this huge duffel bag with like fifty figurines, and each one of them embodied like this character for me, and they weren't like. There maybe one gi joe or one he-man it was just like such a random collection yeah, of toys <laughs> you know like one guy with no arm and he'd become his own thing and yeah but i'd always go to them you know and they'd they'd create these stories for me and they they'd uh create this way of uh, escapism so i was always able to go somewhere else and uh yeah, so it definitely became a tool, but also became like uh, an amusement for me, something I never wanted to let go. I remember I, uh, it was grade six, it was middle grade six, and then I started realizing it wasn't cool to play with figurines anymore. It was devastating. <laughs> I remember like just one day I stopped playing. Because of the social pressures? I think so. Okay, you would have f- kept going. I, I literally felt embarrassed that I was still doing something that none of the boys were doing. You know, all the boys were playing hockey or football or, or basketball, and I did like playing sports, but I wasn't into it. You know, I I'd, I'd played sport, and then three minutes into the sport, I'd drift off into somewhere else, and then a ball would come, like flying towards my head and then all the kids would start laughing because i was somewhere else but i couldn't help it like you'd space out i'd space out constantly always spacing out mm-hmm. since a very young age yeah
2: like almost every report card i've ever had had like richard has his head in the clouds really he would do better if
3: he wasn't like oh uh, yeah is that Same true with me. Yeah. Same with me every almost every teacher that i had as a kid they'd always whenever they talked to our parents they'd be like you know he's a he's a Really smart kid. If he only applied himself, if he didn't always yeah. have his head in the I clouds, got a little bit of yeah. that too. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, combined with uh, he needs he needs to stop uh, trying to bullshit his way out of homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, when I figured out a couple of times that I could wing it, then I thought I was like, "Hey, this is great. I don't, I have a free reign here, right?" Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you?
2: I don't, I don't buy
1: it. Yeah. But most teachers were fooled. But every once in a while, somebody was like, no, I know what you're doing, boy. Yeah. <laughs> run your ass back there. and Come back with a thousand words or your ass is grass. I'd be like, ee. Yeah. <laughs> Just run back.
3: It's cool, Era, that, um, that now you're at a, a point where that has its advantages, um, you know, because that hyper focus that you have, because it is kind of that. You're focused on whatever it is at that, that i thought maybe you you just weren't that interested in the sport and you'd go off into your other thing and that would become very interesting to you and you'd just be focused on that uh i've noticed and we'll we'll get in i'm sure we'll get into survivor later we're both big fans of survivor and uh at one point we watched uh the finale of survivor together and uh yeah, these guys. You guys can take a break. Yeah,
1: <laughs> do it, it, baby. Do it. I got this. Do it. Fire in a hole. Do it. Uh, Bring it home. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: No, but there was there was one point where we were watching uh, Survivor together, and uh, and you were so focused on it that that we would ask you a question, and you just wouldn't respond. Like, and I don't think you were being rude. I think you really didn't hear us, or you were just like responding to you is not as important as hearing what this person is saying i
0: think the words were like touching my ear and then bouncing off yeah know? yeah like, like okay. i knew you guys were talking <laughs> to me but the same to exactly <laughs> yeah. and i've been able to do that my whole life right i don't know if it's been good like i was always passing every grade by the skin of my teeth right and i think because intuitively i knew that it just took a little bit of effort to be able to pass right and all the other effort was put into dreaming. And right. and that was acceptable for me.
3: And that was more important to you than, right. than getting a, so, a 90 as opposed to a 60. I think it's matter. very
0: it's very selfish. It's always been. It's it's what I find interesting. As soon as I don't find it interesting,
1: I zone out. Right.
2: I do the same thing. I yeah, I do the same thing. I think thing most people too. have a little
1: bit of that. I don't yeah. know if everyone has that. It's I, about motivation, I think but i i definitely i can relate to that particular point
3: i think there are some people that are more um, um prone to zoning out than others definitely you know? i agree yeah i agree
2: and i can consciously filter out people very very well unless really? they're on a particular like uh, wavelength like if they like a particular tone of voice if it's mm-hmm. like too high and like kind of uh i don't know like it's like this high-pitched shrill thing yeah. and i have a hard time Tune that out but Man, otherwise s-
3: i can tune anything out there are some people that no matter what they're saying there's just certain people that as soon as they start talking i zone out immediately immediately yeah, i can't right. help it even if they're talking about something that's important to my well-being i just if there's certain people the way that they speak i just can't I can't do the elevator it. music starts playing. oh right? my god yeah i'll think about anything else and then i think i think part of my subconscious is still listening it's like this weird version of multitasking because then they'll ask me a question and then i have to be like oh shit now i have to answer and then like quick subconscious fill me in on what the fuck was just going on for the past yeah. five minutes and then you know then i'm back and i can i can still answer but i, I, I usually pull like the last sentence or two yeah yeah
1: this is a useful skill with women <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry it i is. gotta say it man 15 years in you know <laughs> two kids i'm gonna tell you I, I believe in the nothing box theory i believe there's a place that guys can go and often go depending on the situation oh, yeah, maybe you nothing box. about the nothing yeah, box, yeah, the, maybe, nothing box. What's the, the nothing, nothing box? box is part of this sort of theory where if you imagine a woman's brain and i know i'm gonna get in trouble for this but fu- fuck you uh, if a woman's <laughs> brain, th- I didn't fucking come up with it. If the br- women's brain, uh, we imagine it as like a stock room with all of these filing boxes, then uh, a woman's brain would supposedly be like, like everything's interconnected. It's one open room with stacks of information everywhere, but everything is immediately accessible from your, where you're standing. And at any given point, you can interact with any of the information. Whereas the men's, apparently, according to this idea, would be very compartmentalized. And there are doors and walls separating the different topics. And that you a man generally can only, not that he cannot multitask, but he when he goes a place into a certain topic, that he stays there for a while. And if you bring him out of it, it takes him a long time to get back into that room again because you're bringing him back out into the uh, lobby. And he's got to like figure out where he was and go back into that room again, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas so supposedly women would have more of a network, whereas men would have more of like these departments, these departments, right? And guys have apparently something called a nothing box, which is a kind of a snooze meditative box that contains nothing. And where we'd supposedly go there to sort of, uh, to sort of repair, and meditate and relax the brain and this is a box you know when uh, the the whole scenario of like the stereotype of a woman going like what are you thinking about it you're like nothing Penny for your thoughts. and then she gets mad at you because she thinks that you don't want to tell her and you're like no really i was i was really literally not thinking anything
0: i wish i had a nothing box no, yeah you, you don't
1: feel like you have one no that's why i meditate
0: cuz you can my quiet. brain no my brain's on overload. it doesn't stop thinking
3: Interesting Yeah same
0: my yeah. dreams actually move quicker than than real life so i never i never have a break that's why i meditate i have to because i, can I can't to, like, i can't do it on my own i can't
3: just sit there like you're saying there's uh, no there's no box Yeah for me i'm constantly playing the uh, writing game in my head that i told you about where it's like where you uh, you play up into like for me cuz it's music you play uh, the song up until what you have written, and then see what comes next. If there's going to be anything that comes next, right. I'm constantly playing that in my head all of the time. But do you
1: have a nothing box? Absolutely. And I think I know where where it. I I sort of. Um, so you think about nothing. I don't actually think about nothing. You don't think about it. You just. I can go on. I right. can click off. You shut off. Yeah. And I think it comes from the fact I was raised by a single mom, who had to sort of bust her ass to to put a roof over our heads. So that meant a lot of time by myself, even though she did everything she could. And that meant no matter how much TV I watched or how much I played, there was just some times where I could hear the, I always call it, the, you hear the the buzz of the power lines because you're just sitting there. and you just You just hear it. And I think those moments kind of maybe, I can go into my nothing box when I'm watching a show. I can literally do it. And just the background of my brain, it's not an ability. I'm, like, I'm talking about like it's a superpower, but yeah. it's really not. I kind of feel
0: like it would be, though. I wish I had that. I'm envious of people who say I don't dream. I, I don't believe it, but I'm envious of people who have that. I wish I could stop thinking on my own. Okay, so you have a really I, I busy brain. Yeah, I do it as a practice. I have to. Okay. It calms me down. It brings everything back to perspective. And that's cool because it's like it's like you're re- refueling without having to do it for yourself. It's just you like automatically do it. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, I'm tired now. It's like my brain is going to rest. I'm going to sit there and watch something and think about absolutely nothing. I wish right. I had that.
1: Well, see, the grass is always greener because the, the problem with the nothing box, if that's what it's called, if that's what's going on in my head, is sometimes it's really comfy in there. And even though you have ideas and shit to do, if if you have nothing pressing or if you have some free time, suddenly uh, you can procrastinate. You can stay in there too long, right? You stay in the jacuzzi too long, right? And if uh, you pretend pretend to want to do anything artistic or get any business done, it's a, it's kind of a bitch. You get kind of stuck in there a little bit. Right. Your motivation takes a blow
3: Yeah, I can procrastinate like a motherfucker but, uh, And I used to beat myself up about it a lot And actually Richie was one of the people that made me feel better about it Where he made me realize that when I'm pacing around my apartment uh, And I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything that can be hit with a hammer uh, But you, know, you said it's part of the process you know, you're still, Your mind is still working It's still work that needs to be done you know, so even if you're not doing anything with your hands at the time, you know, it's stuff that you would be having to do anyways. So I stopped kind of uh, beating myself up about that. And that's actually it's been quite profound. It's been really, really comforting for me now because
1: I realize, oh, shit, I, I am working, you know. Do you, Richard, do you withdraw when you when you go into your because you have a creative process, much as like everyone else. You've I have you a bit of the nothing box. You go Definitely. into a nothing box. I've
2: I've got I've got that. Okay. It's a bit of like the meditative state. It's not like nothing. It's just like you're kind of free flowing. It's almost like when you're falling asleep and like you you know that feeling where like thoughts year.
1: are going by, but you're not hooking into anything. Right. Right. And
2: then like your thoughts start to get like a little bit disjointed and a little weird. And Then you kind of like snap out of it and like. That was I just thinking about running shoes
1: and running shoes and explosions. What? What? Yeah, like
2: the laws of physics don't apply anymore. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's
3: very. uh, I mean, that's uh, because right now, part of part of the uh, huge part of the conversation that's in vogue right now is mindfulness. You know, it's something that we're realizing more and more uh, in the in the West. Like awareness of self. Not no. It's actually the. dissolving of the self or trying to get away from the self and trying to get away from uh ego uh, not only ego but also thinking without realizing that you're thinking um and uh, i just i just watched this for the second time i just watched uh, sam harris's talk on uh, uh it's called waking up it's 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 really it's pretty incredible and it talks a lot about this uh this idea of letting go of the self and um being able to stop yourself from from thinking without deliberately thinking you know because you can often get into these patterns where you're just you're just in this conversation with yourself at all times and you're saying the same things to yourself all the time you know all these things that don't need to be said rain you man know? but internally just this internal this constant internal dialogue which you're talking about which can seem like like fucking shut up man like shut up brain like it can feel like an assault after a while yeah, shut you know? up brain being and haunted. that's and, and that's what you're talking about how you have to actively when you meditate it's it's an it's um you're actively stopping yourself from thinking you know and just being present in the in the in the moment you know and taking in the, the sounds, feeling what it feels like to be conscious right in that moment, you know? Well, one thing's for sure. I'm never bored.
0: Yeah. Like, I never have a dull moment. Yeah. So
1: now
3: I envy you.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm I'm constantly fascinated by yeah. every single information that's coming through my, my mind. And I can analyze it a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm extremely perceptive and intuitive. But yeah, there is that... There is that place where I definitely want to go, where I'm building, you know, through traveling and through experience and through meditation. I think I'm finding a way to get back to that place where I can just be one with everything that's happening around me. But it's definitely something that I have to work through. I feel like I have the ability to like be able to see everything as as it is, but I don't necessarily have the ability to be one with everything as it is. You right. know, I can at times and I can with people and I'm generally a calm person. But I think I think there's
3: definitely that that place where I, I definitely want to work at. Right. Yeah. So, so one of the things sort of uh, uh, one of the things that is that is um uh it's a big part of more Eastern philosophy is is that thinking without realizing that you're thinking is one of the greatest causes of of suffering, you know and if you can it's not that you don't want to think it's that you want to use your mind as a tool instead of just having it run away constantly on its own momentum all the time um yeah it's something that we're just starting to i I think it's starting to become part of the accepted conversation here in the west you know
0: right well we move so quickly we don't stop and everybody i know moves so quickly we all move at different paces but it seems like we're always intersecting each other, you know?
3: Right. And there's also a, a big, uh, the ego can be one of our, uh, biggest detriments. You it know? definitely is. You can get in, yeah. in the way of so many things, but, uh, you know, that's very easy to say when you go on a retreat in the woods and you, you meditate for several days at a time or you take psychedelics or whatever. But, but then when you're, uh, getting off the Metro, and you're trying to get off and somebody's standing in front of you and you're like, fuck, like get out of the way. And, you know, there's going through the city life. The ego is, unfortunately, it's a necessity. It's a it's something that we that we need to have in order to get through life, you know. But it's uh, but it can also I can it
1: can fuck you it can fuck you up. I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, it, it all depends, I think, on. Uh how you take care of yourself like how what's your attitude towards yourself right like um i don't know if you're you don't seem like you're very severe with yourself in terms but at the same time i could be wrong but in terms of you may be demanding of yourself but then there's people that beat themselves up and it almost almost abu- self abuse self-abuse even if it's internal right right uh, in order to be able to get themselves to like all right come on, Jason, get the fuck up and try to fucking throw the phone. Like, you have this dialogue with yourself, or, or you could have the, like, I guess, I don't know, what, what's, your, what's, what's going on yeah, in your Yeah, I don't mind.
0: beat myself up. I'm just always thinking of things. Like, I'm always just thinking of, like, the possibility of everything. You know, like if that happens what's the reaction of that well, how did it happen how's that going to happen how's that going to affect everything that's leading up always like i, I basically butter effect uh, the butterfly effect to every single possibility that comes in front of me okay and i look at at at, at things from several different angles always so that, that's that's what I mean by not stopping. But I, I make oh, those times to you know juice and clean and and <gasps> you know pay the bills and like be a, a normal person. But that's like a really small percentage. I can go I can go to those places, and and like be that that functioning person because I know I have to in order to like survive. But that imagination, it's really the imagination. It just constantly goes off. There's always an idea. There's always a way that I can see an idea from so many different angles. So I wouldn't say, like, it's not necessarily negative. Like, I'm not a huge worrywart. I'm more just of a escapist.
2: You're still playing with the figurines?
0: I'm, st- I'm constantly playing with I the figurines. I guess that makes sense. then.
1: That, uh, I mean, uh, you could have chosen any art, but film is kind of, I mean, uh, it's a lab, right? It's really a lab environment. It's uh, the best place. It's there's so many for, moving parts. For me it's the best place. You know, it's really
0: it's something where I can combine everything that I've ever seen into one thing. You know, all the things that I hear, all the things that I, I feel, all the the ways that people react or act. You know, it's it's all combined into one dance and costume. So all the the elements of art are in one place and uh i find that so fascinating because i love all art i don't think that one is is uh less or or more than the other i think that that's they impossible. all ha- they all have their place and i feel like that's why i love film so much because it it takes all those 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 little pieces
3: of life yeah that's a place where everything intersects and I you guess.
0: can tell it, and then you can share it And then finally I realized that by playing those toys all my life that I could finally play with those toys in real life and share it with people and touch people and tell people exactly what's happening you know, in my head.
1: Okay, so sharing the stories, sharing these ideas yeah. is an important component of it, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think, I think you know, there are artists who choose to keep it for themselves and I respect that. But I think the act of sharing is, is so important. And I think it's in, in so many different elements of life. Like right now we're sharing, you know, we're having a beer, we're talking in front of a microphone, but we're sharing our ideas. You know, we're one with this moment. And I think that's like super important with everything. So, so I think it, it is the, the duty of an artist to, to be able to get out there and uh, whatever way they can, you know. And I think on a, a large platform, if they can, uh, to be able to share their ideas with as many people as possible and to be able to get all those reactions. And,
1: and that, then, you, that, that's a big part of it for you, like the conversations? that issue Yeah, yeah. Like and the, they have nothing work?
0: to do with me. I feel like I've already had the conversation with the art. Okay. And so the, the, the art now becomes for somebody else to have the conversation with and someone come up to me and go, oh, yeah, your film really made me feel this way. And that one. I'll be all like, cool. 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 And, cool. And I don't even see it from an objectified point of view because I don't really give a shit. You know, for me, it's done. It's theirs now. It's their experience. It's their film, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really able to separate the ego from the creation, for sure. Interesting. And that took a long time. And I think like when I came back from India, I spent half a year in India. And when I came back from India, I was able to do that. And that's when like things really started happening for me because I was able to do that with the art. I was able to look at the art at, in, in a very like non-objectified point of view, and then be able to make it. Step back, watch what I had made. And 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 feel like I was, like you guys, watching it for the first time. And then seeing other people's reaction and being like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Is that something that happened in India? Like something opened you up there? I think so. It's very that, like... You first get to India and you see all this shit happening. You see so much poverty and you want to help these people. Literally You, really, shit.
1: you see shit everywhere. You literally. see
0: shit everywhere. And you see so many poor kids and, and wives. And not and even all
1: poor. Like that, We don't have a word for what that is, I think, yeah. in North America.
0: Right? Well, it's, uh, it's extreme, right? Mm-hmm. And then you feel sorry for these people. You feel extremely sorry. And this is interesting because you don't want to feel sorry for these people anymore you you start feeling bad you start feeling sick inside that you're feeling sorry well, who am i to feel sorry for these it's people patronizing it's patronizing exactly am i better than them because i feel sorry for them you know and then you start realizing that just by feeling sorry for these people you are judging them yeah and i think that's a very very tricky thing to try to explain to people because people would say well yeah you're supposed to feel sorry no, for that makes them. Perfect why sense. are you supposed to feel sorry for these people Mm-hmm. and because of that 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 one thing i was able to implement that into my art because i realized Wait, explain that i want to be interested. Yeah, yeah yeah so i was able to look at my art and be like why should i feel uh judgmental towards what i'm making okay. i want to be able to separate myself mm-hmm. and make something and then unseparate myself so this was the experience i had in india I could hang out with people and see them as human beings and share a moment with them and go into their house even though they were way poorer than me and eat their food and get sick and continue doing that over and over and having this real human experience and not feeling sorry for these people but being a part of their lives and sharing these real moments and coming out of it and having so much love and joy for everything that was surrounding me. So I was no longer feeling sorry for these people because I saw them as real human beings. Even though they lived in a shack or they didn't have money or there was a kid g- grabbing on my, my pants, w- what am I supposed to do? Feel sorry for them in that moment or share a moment with them? Yeah. And get down to their level and try to understand where they come from and try to understand that this
1: is their life and this is what they have to go through. I bet you saw more smiles down there than you would downtown on a busy day. Absolutely. So much. That's my guess.
0: And when I was able to separate myself from that, then I, I, I brought in so much love. And I think that's the same idea with art. It's to be able to see a story and see how I can touch that and make that real without trying to put too much judgment into it and without trying to say, oh, this is," I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I need to create something rather than just say, hey, I feel there's a story coming my way. May as well get it out of me and then share it with people and have them tell me how they feel about the story and then we can share that experience and be like oh you didn't like it that's cool why didn't you like it oh you liked it why did you like that you know
4: nothing is so terrible as a pretentious movie I mean, a movie that aspires for something really terrific and doesn't pull it off is shit. it's scum and everyone will walk
0: on it as such and that's why poor filmmakers in a way that's their greatest horror is to be pretentious So, here you are on one hand trying to aspire to really do something. On the other hand, you're not allowed to be pretentious. And finally, you say, fuck it. I don't care if I'm pretentious or not pretentious, or if I've done it or I haven't done it. All I know is that I am going to see this movie. And that for me, it has to have some answers. And by answers, I don't mean just a punchline. Answers on
4: about 47 different levels.
3: All right, welcome back to Fire in the Hole with Danny Lazois and guests. (laughs) So, (laughs) thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks again for having us. Yeah, Thanks. one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, well, Ara, uh, I noticed that your films often are a celebration of uh, Quebecois culture, but uh, in a way that isn't seen in a lot of Quebecois films. You know, you celebrate a lot of the greediness, the joie, sort of the uh, the underbelly a little bit right uh, is that a conscious thing or is that uh, i
0: think it's what interests me you know i when walking through a street or being on a metro it's the it's the people i think wh- where you can look at them and be like okay there's a lot of life behind that person that's an interesting person right No, you know that's usually what i look for and and i feel like people who who do go through really hard hard times they have something to say, you know. There's a there's a real powerful message and story behind all that because I feel like we can all identify in some ways with those people, mm-hmm. and and it's just amazing that those people even exist. You know, they they just so they have so many more stories than the common man or woman who do the nine to fives and go home and watch their their. Their TV shows and eat the same meals all the time and hang around the same people. They play it safe. There's a lot of films about, about that kind of society, and I think it's because we identify with it. Mm. But I don't necessarily find that interesting at all. Mm. You know, there's a few perspectives that you can take and shine a light on that reality and make it somewhat interesting. But for me, it's just... The forgotten ones are the ones that are really interesting. And I think there's a lot of material out there. So much. Mm. And I, f- I feel like I'm just getting my, my hands dirty now. Right. And uh, it's been a few years and it's so much fun. Because the content, I mean, it's it's everywhere. There's just so much to work. They, the ideas are endless because there's so much we haven't shown.
1: Right. Well, you, you, know? yet, you, you seem focused on the the reality of the situation, right? Like you like to dabble in real life? I do,
0: but with an element of fantasy. And yeah. I think that element of fantasy opens the doors and makes it a lot more accepting. And and for me it's like there's always fantasy to reality anyways. And 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 as a creator, I feel like I'm always taking it from a fantastic point of view because I'm not necessarily part of that, so I'm always investigating it as if I'm a fresh eye. And I feel like when these films are presented to people, that's how they feel as well. Like, what is that? You know, mm. this is a new experience for me. I've been very lucky just on two shorts that have been able to travel over 60 festivals and, and you know, be nominated at the Gala de Cinema Québécois twice um, on movies that were, like, self-financed with barely any money. But you know, we had really good equipment, and uh, we had an amazing crew.
1: But yeah, how did that? How did you come about that? By the way, how did you put together that crew, or did you um, just find them?
0: Well, I knew, I knew like uh, Jean-Philippe Bernier. I knew him. He's the DOP uh, from Turbo Kid. He also does the music for Le Matos. We knew each other from film school. He's actually the guy who got me into film school in 2004. Where'd you go? Uh, O'Sullivan College. Okay. It was just one year, and uh, a lot of us worked in the industry afterwards that came from that school especially the first few years I don't know now I haven't checked in but I was an amazing school I think there was just a lot of like eager and extremely talented kids that all came from the 80s and early 90s generation and we all had just like a passion to make film but now you know it was less about like I'm gonna study for for eight years it's more about like I have this passion. And I need to exercise it immediately. Not saying that the, the people who study at Inis or Mel Hoppenheim don't uh, fuck those guys. Don't have that that passion. I'm sure they have that drive as well. But I, I just feel like our crew was this immediate urge to get out there and play in the sandbox, like right away.
3: So, Jesus, so we met just starting rivalries for no reason. <laughs> Fuck those! Well, guys. No, I, I, I went to Mel Hoppenheim. That's oh, you why. Did? Okay. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs>
1: so that's why I was like, "Fuck those guys." No, um, but I, I definitely like the idea that you wanted to strike while the iron was hot, and like you happened upon. I guess you were lucky enough to come into a, a year with like-minded individuals, if I understand correctly. I was
0: lucky, but then I separated from them. I feel like I was doing ego cinema for at least three years. What do you mean by that? What, what What do you mean by ego cinema? I just feel like I was like I had this urge to make these films, but I didn't really know why I was making them, and I really wanted to show them, and I thought they were great, but they were really bad, and I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily bad because they were dishonest. I, th- I, I yeah absolutely I think the whole thing behind it was dishonest I feel like I wasn't being true to myself so I definitely like it's not like I regret but I definitely like scrapped around for a few years and I think that was necessary to like learn I never grew up in film in those ways you know some kids have it and uh, they're, they're around it and you need money and you need equipment and especially if you're going to make competitive cinema uh, you know very little filmmakers are going to take, you know, cheap digital camera and actually make it in the industry. Some, you know, there's a few examples out there. But I think I think you need the equipment, you need the acting, you know, you need the talent behind it. And uh, it took me a long time to realize that. And I think I was always like satisfied with what I was making. Whereas now I'm I don't really think about it too much like i know what needs to be done and then i can move on so it's a lot more it's a lot quicker than it than it was and i think that's with experience as well but i think it's also like the intention of why i make it too and i think the intention while we all make it we all listen to each other you know we're we're an extremely cohesive team and we work on these films for no money i mean we've done three short films and we're a big crew i mean we're about 30 people and no one's getting paid and we're doing long hours for these short films but you know i think in the end there's a story that's interesting to everybody you know i i have the ability to come up with these stories and then and then i have this incredible crew and every single person is able to bring something to the table, whether it's through artistic direction or costumes or the acting. And I think, you know, after I did Louragan, Fuck You, Tabarnak, I had so many people that just wanted to work on these projects. And it was cool for short films because usually you don't have exposure on short films. I'd say the percentage of people who make short films that actually get exposure is probably like 0.25% that's what it seems like to me anyways so the fact that I was having all these people writing me on Facebook and being like who are you? I want to work with you you know, it became really easy that way but at the same time it's, it was this like ongoing process where we're constantly evolving we're constantly trying to be better and we're all listening to each other and we're working like a well-oiled machine and it's really cool that we've been able to do this on uh, self-financed do films
1: al- do you always direct? always always direct that's, is that your main bag
0: or do you yeah you for it? sure yeah 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 that's, that's what I'm good at I think I think I have like I'm just good at being on set and listening to people And you also
3: write all your movies I you? write
0: yeah and I edit so yeah. so I think the storytelling aspect is extremely important and that's what I focus on but I mean when you have 10 guys unloading a huge truck full of equipment and setting everything up that's the work you know and I feel extremely overwhelmed and blessed that I have so many beautiful people that are able to bring something to this table, and I just sit back in awe, you know. And it's uh, it's extremely touching
3: I'm to, curious to see that. To know what you mean uh, when you say ego cinema, though. The, what you were doing for the first three years? What do you like? Is it that you were trying to express yourself too much through those films? Is that you? Were I think too I much cared too much.
0: No. Yeah. I cared way too much. Okay. You know, it was this idea that we had to make it? You know, you're in your mid twenties, and it's like I gotta make it. This is when you make it. This is when directors really get through. And uh, I wasn't making the movies for the right reason. I wasn't really saying the stories that I needed to say. And I, I felt like. When I came back from India, my grandmother died, and I stopped making movies for two years. Before that was a year and a half, and then India. so the whole thing was about two years long. and I didn't film anything, and I felt discouraged, you know, having fights with people and just not getting along with people in general, with, with making film. And it can be really intense. I mean, you know, you're trying to get your ideas out and they don't come out properly, and you get frustrated at people, or they're not there, and they're not giving you what you need. And I surrendered to all that. And I felt like when my grandma died, the only reason I made Luragan for You Barnech was because I just wanted to give her a gift. I wanted to say thank you for everything that she gave me, and I just wanted to make something from my heart. And it was a real story about something that I, that I felt was you know not necessarily personal, but personal in a different way. Like I could identify with this character, could identify with the bully, I could feel like feel all these hardships and i felt like we live in a society where we're always attacking the bully which is weird right because we want to stop people from bullying and all that but it, we we fail to understand and I, this is where we are in our society i feel like we fail to understand the root of the problem mm. and we always want to solve it just like cancer right it's like we want to do all these things to to stop cancer find the solution but we never really talk about prevention if you notice uh three percent of the money that goes into Cancer Foundation is actually um, th- for prevention, and the other ninety seven percent is trying to stop it. well, I think that if we lived in a society where we tried to prevent the problem like we adjusted the way that we deal as a society mm. then then people like that kid Louuragan m- might not exist right so I want to say something like. You know, we are the cause of this problem, not this child, you know, everything that surrounds it. But I want to see it in a non-judgmental point of view. I didn't want to feel sorry for the kid. I want to try to understand it. And and I think that's when I realized that was my calling. You know, I always wanted it, I think, in a way that it would fulfill me. But I was chasing it. And then when I surrendered and I stopped for two years... It started chasing me Mm. and then the ideas came to me and then it felt so much more uh, like a personal experience so when I make these films you know I go through a lot of emotions I laugh I cry you know I feel upset
3: it feels like a real thing for me now yeah for me the uh, the climax of Louragan was when uh, I just watched it again recently is when his dad is talking to him and saying like Nobody is nobody gives a fuck about you. You have to make your own way out of this shit, you know. To me, that's the climax of the film where you really realize that's where he's coming from, and then all of his actions after that make a lot more sense, kind of, or you you empathize with him a lot more.
2: Um, yeah, because you start off not liking him that much,
3: right? You start off kind of being like, oh, this little shit, and then and then after you see the way that his dad is acting, you know, in the in the um. In the meeting with the principal and everything and then afterwards when he sits in the in, in the front uh in the front yard with the they sit together and his dad is giving him like life lessons and saying like we've been giving a we've been given a shit card uh, a hand of cards and nobody gives a fuck about you and and you have to make your own way out of this garbage you know uh, to me that's the climax and one of the things that i really actually like uh, about your about your movies sometimes I'm very perplexed to be honest sometimes I'm like what is he trying to fucking say here uh, there are other times where it's w- what I really like is that they're you're touching on these really heavy stories but what I like is that you don't come to conclusions you don't make these there isn't this big conclusion at the end you just kind of tell a story but there isn't it's not wrapped up in a nice little bow afterwards you know but nothing is in right, life, yeah. nothing is. Yeah, and exactly. Pre- and yeah.
0: we pretend that it is. You know, yeah. often we finish a movie with a wedding and those kind right. of things really bother me. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I don't necessarily want to feel satisfied. I want to feel like I've learned something. Yeah. And I want to feel like when I'm finished watching something, I can take that information home with me and think about it. And think about how it affected me. Right. You know, whether it's through laughter or violence or whatever it is whatever the intention of the filmmaker is leave me with something
3: and and leaving it open ended in a way leaves you with a lot more lessons than if you just said this is the this is what you take away from the, this is the conclusion i mean it should be thoughtful there yeah. there
0: should be there should be a note that you're left on where everything that you just watched has now been put into perspective right you know so mm-hmm. i i think it has to be intended it can't just be anything
3: no, no, no. But it's but what I find that sometimes people can be too quick to want to tie it all up and say like ah the end this is how it ends and so it's the end uh, of the story.
2: Yeah, and, and walk uh, off into the sunset. It can um, often
3: feel very especially if you are touching on heavy subjects. It can often feel like oh this is the message that they're trying to convey and it can often be very heavy-handed and you're just kind of left with this like ah fuck it's too much man. like it's too preachy too preachy yeah, yeah. like yeah. it's a one-sided
2: narrative and it, like this right. is what you're supposed to think and yeah and this now, is why most films this is, this is the end whereas, this is why a lot
1: of films fall apart in the third act right yeah, yeah yeah that's true and it's a lot of
2: a lot of stories in general fall apart fall, in the third they fall,
1: act because the the person has to beat beat an ending into it mm-hmm. and I think maybe that was clearer earlier in cinema where it came from a theatrical tradition and where it was a bit of a little story that was told and then it was over. But Mm -hmm. then as the art form sort of opened up and it became more interpretive and more uh, impressionistic and more feels and exploration, uh, that third act is becoming a sort of a, you can see even like very cookie cutter Hollywood films struggling. You can feel the, okay, so, uh, and then yeah. the public reacts very viscerally to, to third acts when they crumble, right? Yeah. Right. If you think about like uh, any TV show that's been really big, you know, uh, I can, I think of Dexter, for instance. As oh a, my god, or Lost. The worst. Or Lost. Battlestar. Battlestar. But yeah. Dexter in particular, I felt that that, that was, was... the worst
2: ending of any show I still refuse to watch the ending. A lot of people I felt really, it, really unsatisfied by that. But
1: yeah. all without wanting to get into the show itself, the, the third act, I think it ties into what Arrow is saying, is that um, because nothing really ties together like that in real life, then maybe that compulsion needs to be let go of. It seems like at least you've made an effort to let go of that, that third... You All know, the interesting
2: stuff seems to happen at the beginning of the story, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the setup, the buildup, a lot of questions, a lot of mystery, a lot of that kind of yeah. stuff. And then they show you the monster and it's like, ah, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like we were talking about with horror movies. In- yeah. Incidentally, I heard today
1: on the podcast uh, the, uh, the best, most concise description of Michael Bay films. Yeah. Like I've been ranting about them for years, but right. I've heard the most concise explanation and it's like, I never need another one. This is it. Yeah. Right. And so the, and the guy just threw it off like he was thinking live. Right. He goes, okay, well, your basic Michael Bay film is a hero's journey because that's what everyone does, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Ever since Star Wars, everyone's been doing the hero's journey because the, the, the audience can imprint themselves on, on the hero, and et etc. And he goes, a Michael Bay movie is essentially like this. It's a muscular guy in a tight T-shirt who's like, I'm fucking awesome. And then somewhere in the middle of the movie, he's like, wait, am I? Am I awesome? And then by the third act, yeah, I'm fucking awesome.
2: <laughs> I was like,
1: that's it. That is literally every Michael Bay film.
0: Wait, wait a second. His movies yeah. are a very physical experience. You know, yeah, like the guys. Of it's all about, it's all about what's happening with your eyes. Right. yeah roller coaster ride uh, yeah you know yeah. he should have Explosions built he should have built theme and pretty parks.
1: girls, and yeah, the guy should have built resorts and theme parks, right mm-hmm. because I mean, do you I have think an he appreciation
3: appeals? for Michael Bay films,
1: do you enjoy them?
0: They don't appeal to me at all, but I understand why people like them and and maybe that's where the problem is, mm-hmm. people? you know. Well, maybe, maybe people need to... Fuck people. Well, no, I'm not, that's not what I want to say. I think, I think that like, people need to challenge themselves. And I feel like with the Michael Bay movie, they're not doing that. They're going for the easy way out. And mm. it's not to say that the, his movies are bad. I just feel... Movie junk food. Yeah, it's too easy. And I, I feel like you know, these moments that we make for ourselves should always be challenging. I don't want to read or listen to something or watch something that's not moving me in a certain way. Yeah, I do want to laugh. I want to be excited, but I also want to be challenged with what the artist is showing me. I think that's extremely important in, in, in any realm. And I feel if we're not doing that, then we're not evolving.
1: I feel like I, I have to disagree with you on on that in terms of Michael Bay specifically because I do feel that he does in fact challenge the the the, the audience. Very in what much way? I want to hear this. To does not this is interesting. Him
3: after he ruins Ninja Turtles for all of us. <laughs> Sorry. <Transformers>. Uh, <laughs> to
1: be able to remember what the fuck happened in the last hour and a half, and I don't say that psych- just sarcastically. Literally, because you
2: went to your nothing box. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like
1: honestly, honestly, like I challenge anyone. Like if you tell me uh, about Goodfellas, right? Or if we start talking about, uh, let's not, let's take a less iconic film. Uh, uh, what about Bob, right? Which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Right? I love that movie. I yeah. could walk, yeah. th- I haven't seen that movie in a good five to six years. Easily. Almost
0: anything that Bill Marine is not is good though. He yeah, makes a but, movie, I mean, but it's a great movie. That
1: yeah. one was even better. Even Richard Dreyfuss was incredible. And you usually, I'm very put off by that guy. I I, I, I kind of, I can't. Okay. I see him. I see the cokehead guy, right. narcissistic guy, and I can't. It annoys me. But the, what I'm saying is, like, I challenge anyone, even a Michael Bay fan, to walk me through everything that's happened in a in like, say, Transformers one or two or Dark of the Moon or where the fuck, and tell me what was happening where because at any given time, and I've heard other filmmakers talk about this. He has anywhere from ten to twelve cameras spiraling in different directions uh combined with helicopter f- like i can't imagine what the editing must be like on a michael bay film because of the sheer no- like he's a mechanic
0: but i find his movies
1: extra i find them a mess like no one can do what he does
0: yeah but i don't remember see this is something when i watch his movies yeah. i literally zone out because right. i'm not that's, seeing yeah, that's anything saying, but
1: that's the too. challenge that's, for me yeah right it's that's literally that's why I find it challenging because he's showing me so much at the same time, I can't even tell the fucking characters much. apart, yeah. right? Yeah, I'd like just challenge people to sit them down and test audience, right? Just like first Transformers movie, and just ask them a simple question: name the characters and point them out on this chart. <laughs> Which one are they? <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. But this is very funny. This it's, is a very it, funny it, perspective. It is funny, but think about it. Once you move past the nyak, right? it's actually kind of true. No one could really tell you from beginning to end what the fuck happened. He definitely separates himself apart from the other filmmakers. I'll give him that. No one can do what he does. You may not like it. I don't certainly like it. But no one can do, no one can make a Michael Bay film but Michael Bay.
0: And a lot of people
2: can't figure out how he does a bunch of the shots, right?
1: Yeah. I, I even I would even challenge I would submit to you that he probably does it with all of his douche heart and he believes that he is making film the best way possible like he he to him it's like a race car
0: he definitely wants to appeal to a very very broad audience like as many people as possible right and I think he has found the right ingredients but I, I think a lot of people would argue is he a great storyteller. I mean, No Pay No Gain was pretty interesting, but his other films, the narrative is just all over the place. No
1: Pay No Gain was it was his indie project. How hilarious is that? That it's was actually his, my favorite Michael Bay it movie. Was personal. I thought it was going to be really bad, and I watched it, right. and uh, I was taken away from it. But without wanting to obviously devolve this into a Michael Bay conversation, the He's fact the is is that monster truck
0: uh,
2: rally of of filmmakers
1: (laughs) yeah and it's and like it's just like
2: well he's
0: on the right he's completely on the right if we're gonna look like at the whole spectrum of filmmakers that guy you know he's the Donald Trump of filmmaking right Uh, that's a very good comparison
1: that's a very good comparison yeah I would say that he is the thing is he's the Darth Vader to me of film (laughs) Oh,
3: that's always, no, I, I would analogy. give the
0: Darth Vader to Stanley
1: Kubrick. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Uh, yeah, you're
3: giving Michael Bay too much. Michael Bay no, Darth is Vader. Darth Vader. He's a bad guy, but Darth he's Bay. a cool bad guy. Oh, yes, he's but like, the he's the product. King, man.
1: Darth Vader is the product. Is In fact, Darth Vader is not as cool as he really is. We made him cool. We injected him with the qualities that make him cool. On paper, Darth Vader is not that cool. He's basically right. a walking casket. He's a walking That's life true. support system guy with an Atari 2600 on his chest and who, who's basically, a, he's basically handicapped, a handicapped dude.
3: But he's so nuanced when you see the first three episodes, you know, he's but such like, a nuanced. But Michael Bay is, no, Michael though, Bay they is they MacGyver don't, don't on steroids. Michael Bay is Darth
1: Vader. <laughs> There's
0: no, uh, I, I cannot agree uh, with this. Uh, let me, let me complete he's this. He's MacGyver
1: on steroids. Let me complete this. <laughs> <stuff>. no, <laughs> no, MacGyver was likable he was likable and he worked with nothing (laughs) he turned nothing into something right michael Mm -hmm. bay never if you just gave him a camera Mm -hmm, and went to shoot god help you Mm -hmm. right if you just had to shoot with his phone for a weekend so wait he's the prince of darkness no he's darth vader right and the emperor the man behind this whole this whole dark side of filmmaking to me is harvey weinstein jerry bruckheimer
0: No, I, Harvey Weinstein, he makes some good Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer is <laughs> the, the shadow lord of that entire movie. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah. This is a man that even managed to turn Tony Scott into a Michael Bay. Every man, every protégé that he has
0: had. I was really excited to see uh, Top Gun 2.
1: Yeah.
0: I I think that's a masterpiece. Top Gun? I love it. Really? So much.
1: Like in a campy
0: way? No, no, no. I think it's a beautiful movie. It's a Wait, beautiful Wait, is there a film. sequel? Was they were to, supposed to make uh, and he died I think it was like in pre-production like a few weeks before production you actually.
1: love this film like you love um, uh, like uh, Citizen Kane
0: no no I wouldn't put it on the same level but in terms of a Hollywood film I just feel like the storytelling is really good and there's a lot of motion the, the music is great too and I, I I don't know I really like the character development it's less of an action film it's kind of funny to watch a bunch of guys like with no t-shirts on it's, it's the a more erotic film yeah is. it's it's exactly and i felt like because of that it took chances finally they made a film for for females at the time uh, rather than always showing girls that were half naked and I felt like the female character in Top Gun 2 was really strong she and was the, more
1: masculine than the lead
0: yeah and, and the love interest between the two is actually really believable and Tom Cruise was I don't know I really love that movie I think it's actually extremely underrated It's uh, and I'm a big fan of Tony Scott I think True uh, Romance is probably uh, he directed that it's probably Tarantino's best movie big fan
1: yeah, dun, no, Tony dun, Scott. Uh, dun, dun, dun. But again, once he came into the, under the yoke of, of of the Dark Lord. Which you're probably right. haven't seen all his movies. Yeah, Bruckheimer is like this. Like I said, he really is the emperor. Like no one's aware of him. They keep seeing his name on the marquee. They see his name in his credits. They don't realize that he's the mastermind behind all of this, the procedural shows on TV. Mm. All of that CSI, all, all right. that stuff. He's the grandmaster behind all of Cup that. Rock.
3: You know what doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> is fucking and this may be uh unpopular. Weekend at Bernie's 2. Now, that film, there's a two, there's a weekend at Bernie's 2.
0: My teacher actually did the photography for the first one, really. He also did Johnny, Johnny, um, mnemonic. Really, oh, yeah, George, I love that <laughs> film. I've never seen I'm it, I'm very fond of it. Yeah, yeah, he a, did brain scanners too. Oh, whoa, yeah, his what? name is Francois Prata. He did Les Ordres. He's an incredible, brain incredible scanners. uh, DOC Brain scanners. scanners.
1: Scanners, I think. Scanners. Yeah, scanners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this what? is the the one that they filmed with um, what's his name? Yeah. Um, Beautiful
0: f- uh, director of photography. Yeah,
3: one of uh, Great man, one too. of the revelations that came from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" is uh, I love that show. Just how <laughs> how dark weekend at Bernie's would have been without the sunglasses know yeah. so <laughs> it's a really so it's good awesome. point. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, well, that's is
0: the range of entertainment that we're talking about, right? <laughs> the most sounds like a
1: cracked films. article, <laughs> a cracked article. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it, this is the so kind of thing think where about Citizen Kane
2: and We Can, can Too <laughs> 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 on VHS.
1: Now, three of you say what you think at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is again. This is all like cracked material, cracked article of material. Yeah. Like when you realize they make you realize that Back to the Future had a really weird incest. Body. <laughs> over it that nobody picked up on, yeah. You know, you know I thought about one. that. That's pretty interesting. Right? Yeah, um, and also that Indiana Jones also had a very weird, like, um, uh, you know, uh, statutory rape vibe with with uh, Indiana Jones. That stuff that was written out of the the original script. Oh really? But yeah, but he the his original relationship with uh, the woman that he adventures with in the Lost Ark. Uh, there's. These conversations were like, oh, she's like, well, when I when we were together the first time, I was just a kid. And and he's like, yeah, well, you know, you wanted it. She's like, no, I didn't. But haha. And like, there's all this like weirdness, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness with things that that uh, people don't think about. And these are films we love. Mm-hmm. Until someone says, we're in kind a of Bernie's without sunglasses, and then now I can't sleep for three days. <laughs> right? Especially if the eyes are open. The eyes are open. And Richard okay.
0: Linklater remade it, actually. It's called Bernie, I think. What? In, with Jack Black. No. I love this director. He's one of my favorite directors. Linklater? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I got to see that. Okay, no, so shit. clearly
1: you are a consumer of, of film. You're also a film watcher.
0: Oh, yeah, big time. Huge buff. Yeah, yeah. Of all kinds of film. I'd say less on the Hollywood side. Like, I don't... I'll watch one out of every ten superhero movies that come out. I saw The Avengers, and I really wanted to get out of the theater, you know. it bothered you? Yeah, immensely. Um, Because it was formulaic, or because... um, I just... I don't connect to anything. I don't find the the characters realistic or real. Or I, I I find them so superficial that it's it's really difficult for me to like, you know, feel compassion for what they're doing. I don't, I, f- I almost feel like I'm watching a propaganda Super. film. It really like that's what yeah. the Avengers made me feel like I was watching like a pro America, fuck yeah, kill the bad guys kind of movie. Which I know it wasn't necessarily that, but it was. You know, Team when it, America, it, World it, it felt it felt like I was watching oh like a propaganda ad from the 1920s or 30s on TV or 40s. It is interesting
1: that you say that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's uh I really don't like those movies. And the comics, I haven't is- seen Deadpool. I heard that's awesome. Um yeah, that great. a lot of people are really enjoying it. And and there's a couple like I do like the Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Mans and then Tim Burton's Batman's. And I think a lot of people disagree because it's not faithful to the comic book. But I really don't give a shit. I think they're fun. Fun, and uh they don't really try too hard and they're really comical and they they i feel like the uh the escapism that the director brings you into is just phenomenal compared to these movies that are trying to be like talking about
1: burton now or uh
0: burton and uh and sam raimi and i feel yeah. like the directors of today like nolan and and those guys and they're great directors but um i just feel like they're really bringing these these uh, these fantastical characters into these very realistic worlds, and there's, there's some something, very
3: heavy-handed messages as well in those movies. There's
0: like, something yeah. almost false that I feel from these movies that I I just don't, as a viewer, I don't connect with. I'm not saying they're bad films in any way. Uh, there's a lot of people that think Dark Knight is one of the, you know, is the holy grail of uh, of Superman comic book. books. I'm uh, not
1: one of those people, but yeah.
0: Uh, but I really don't connect with this this uh, this superhero thing that's going on right now. Really. I I
3: was thinking that those I was thinking that those Nolan Batman movies were were. We're the Holy Grail until I realized no, it's really just Heath Ledger's performance was fucking amazing. Amazing,
0: yeah. I will never take that away yeah. from him. But the movie, the writing, the... everything else is garbage. I'm not connected everything to else it. Is
3: fucking garbage. And I will what not are you take... talking about Danny yeah. we were tricked into thinking that these Nolan Batman movies were so amazing just because Heath Ledger, of course, performance was so great, and also there's the there's... guy
0: died. Yeah, that's before the movie was released. Right. There was so much hype around that. That. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like the you know crow. it's unfortunate but it's it's you know he won an oscar so yeah you know it was and, dead, and, the, and
3: that performance was amazing it's like, stellar he it's, completely
0: deserved
1: yeah, he doesn't mean uh, uh tom waits he really does yeah he really does too. <laughs> yeah. um
3: in fact actually there's been several times that uh, i'm looking for something to watch on netflix and i can't find anything mm-hmm. and i'll just be like oh i'll just watch the dark knight and fast forward to all the the joker moments like i literally have done that several times now you know, I'll just watch his. It's yeah, a lot of fast forwarding
1: yeah. because Nolan is a long-winded, oh, yeah. fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, it's all of yeah. <laughs> I, I want to like him, and I was very excited when he when he arrived, when he proposed when we started to see the first images of um, Batman Begins. Uh, for me, it sounded like somebody had like I got a, my ten year twelve year old Christmas wish list. Like Christian Bale was my favorite actor at the time. Gary Oldman was my basically my spirit animal. Yeah. And then to hear that like Michael Kane is going to be involved, like I'm just my mind's just going, "Right, yeah, right? yeah." Right? <laughs> and I could see the like the color palette that he was going for, and it looked like it was going to be this really like gritty fucking style, yeah. which it was, but nothing happened in Begins. Nothing fucking happens right. in this film. And then if you look at the second film, you realize they ditched the entire art direction. First film, Gotham looks like Gotham Yes. it's very bir- right. film 2 Chicago it felt like NYPD Blue yeah you're like where the fuck is <laughs> where the fuck is Gotham and that was a big
0: problem for me yeah, I was like yeah. where the fuck is Gotham <laughs> what's this IMAX I, I bullshit didn't that. I, I want to watch a superhero filmmaker. movie to be honest like real life <laughs> no, real life is kind of boring like it's throwing like men in tights in real life I mean I get it but it just I don't connect to it I, I, understand. I you know I do I feel so like I understand. if you're gonna make a movie that is an escapist film make it escapist right bring me somewhere different move the camera make it exciting you know i know everybody doesn't want this and they really like the formula that's coming out because obviously it's making billions of dollars and i know this conversation about comic book movies are are made by many you know for and against but for me i just i'm bored You know, I want the days of Indiana Jones and E.T. You know, I like the old Spielberg from the 1980s. It was captivating. It was different. It took me in a different place because we haven't had these, these experiences before. And a lot of these stories are so endearing because the characters... The characters, the set design, everything about it felt real. And you could understand what the character was going through. You could go through the journey because it was a a human experience in a fantastic world. And I felt. And you were also 12. Well, yeah, exactly. But E.T. was different. Like, if you look at Elliot and what Elliot was going through emotionally, you could feel it. There was something that was real that every boy and girl felt that I don't feel Hollywood is doing anymore. I don't feel that the experiences that the characters are going through are real. Like I look at the character who plays Iron Man he's funny and all he's cool but that's it. I don't feel like his backstory means anything to me and a lot of these movies that's where they're failing right now and I'm just talking about the big scale movies you know because because there's a lot of beautiful and amazing uh, independent films that are coming out all the time. And filmmakers are fighting their fucking asses off to make these movies. But no one goes to see them. We always debate and talk about the movies that, that shouldn't be talked about in my opinion. And right. and people should stop paying to see these movies. And start paying to see movies that filmmakers are busting their ass for. Because they're actually making good movies. And if the theater was full and people were seeing this and they watched out at least if even if they didn't like it they would be talking about it and I feel like the movies of today we talk about the most mindless things was it was it like the was it like the comic book was he doing the same thing you know if yeah it was true but you know he missed this point missed this part and this costume wasn't right and you know the way he acts like he should have been tougher this shit is so fucking fake, man. Let's get over these things and let's talk. start talking about, like, real stories. Interesting. And, In like, one opinion. of the big problems
2: is accessibility. I disagree right. with that last like, part,
1: but I'm really fascinated by Oh, go point. for it. No, no, please, go, go, go. I was
2: just going to say that uh, I think one of the biggest uh, barriers is the accessibility, you know? Like, people know that these movies are available to go. It's, like, an activity that you can do at any point. Like, oh, let's go have dinner and go to a movie or whatever, like, um, for some of the more independent ones, it's it's hard to know when they're playing, where to go and see them. Can you see them online? Can uh, is, you know? Is there access to them?
0: I think if you're if you're a cinephile, then you will find them. But uh, you're completely right. I agree with you. The accessibility is so small. And when we're talking about short films. I mean, aside from you guys who got my link and the people who go to the festivals, nobody sees short films. Hmm nobody so
2: so how how do we fix it how do we fix this i mean the problem the problem is
0: big you you would have to go you know i think i think in a perfect world you would play a short film before every feature you would have like you you do in europe yeah you would have the producer choose a short film and go that is the short film that we're going to put before rather than without being a short film that they finance or anything they have to choose every single instead of putting all these ads but you know you would have to change the whole system and it's so complicated unless people are going to the movies now and when they want to go they want to have a crazy experience they want to see tons of colors and explosions and for them it's like if i'm paying 13 bucks to see a movie and i'm buying popcorn and drinks and everything i want to be taken away
3: and i want my seat to shake what the fuck is that
0: right so so for me for me it's just like it's a difference between having a great experience and then being challenged and, and and living in a society where we're more thoughtful with the way that we do things. And I think that's what For we're sure. lacking. So it's less about the movies and it's more about the people in our society. And I think... I think that we're, we're going through a time that hopefully we're changing. You see the whole movement in the States with Bernie Sanders. We're really exposing, right now what's really interesting about politics is we're exposing the way people think in America. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing a woman who's lying through her teeth. We're, saying, we're seeing a man who's completely fascist and ripping everybody up. And then we're seeing a man who's really like exposing love and, and, and purity through people. And he's he's accepting people for who they are. And you're seeing these three different types of people that are coming out right now. And it's very, very interesting. Oh, then you have Ted Cruz, who's like Mr. Ev- uh, evangel. Uh, how could you say, like, nut? Re- yeah, Religious Nut. Hmm. So I think you definitely a have a like, time before he drops out, though, right? yeah i think so <laughs> but you you have these four extremes and but now you're seeing people react you're seeing the way that people are treating each other and i i don't think we've ever seen this in politics this is the best
1: election it's amazing because it's, it's less the best election ever
0: exactly and it's less about the politicians and it's more about the people and yeah. i think because of that we're exposing people for the, who they are and we're getting to see them Instead of always being people behind their TV screens or shopping at the malls and hiding behind things, people are coming out and they're telling people who they really are. Yeah. And I think I think because of that, we're gonna see change. People are going to people are going to see how they react in in front of other people. They're gonna see themselves on TV and they're gonna be like, "I'm not like that. That's how I am." And I find this politics really interesting because we're always looking at these these big people and we're looking at their faces like Obama for example, but we're not really thinking about the people. We're thinking about him. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he is hope for us. He has changed or he was anyways. But now now I think I think there's a grassroots movement that's happening and I think that things are changing. So hopefully that changes everywhere. In film, in art and that people want something different and people are gonna start fighting for what they want.
2: From what I hear it's the it's it's crazier than the new Season of House of Cards. This is just like it's absolutely crazy what's going on. I mean, this is yeah. It seems like it seems like like fiction. Yeah, like it doesn't. It it seems like entertainment. more than it. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect
1: sense too. I think ten years from now, I was saying this to somebody today. Ten years from now, we're going to look back on Donald Trump as one of the best things that ever happened to America for the following reasons because he is. A symbol of the festering rot that has been denied by everybody in North America for generations. Yeah. Years and years and decades and generations have gone by of people pretending and now the shit is coming to the surface. And the reason that he's riding high is because there is something to what he's saying. It's not it's not stuff we want to hear, but he represents a constituency. And that constituency is made up of frustrated people who don't understand what political correctness is and who feel like it was a system of oppression. And instead of airing out their problems when they as they occurred, they they couldn't say anything be, for fear of being judged, and now they see their messiah, the guy who's never afraid of saying anything, right? Tells it like it is. Tells it like it is. And I also heard a great comparison where someone said that he is in fact uh, a homeless person or rather a very poor person in North America idea of success. And that's very much true, right? Even John Mulaney makes fun of that. Right, He's like, right, oh, yeah. I'm going to have golden hair. And I'll have <laughs> and towers. With that, my name yeah. in gold, right? He, and this, is, this, is, this comes back to my argument about class. But I don't want to get too far into this. I want to come back to respond to what you said. Not respond. Talk about what you said because it's not a disagree agree thing. It's a perspective thing. I don't think that there needs to be a time where short films need to be valued over big studio films. I think the conversation... Not over, no. Over or as much or either way. I think the issue is, if there is one, is how we consume and for what reasons we consume the things that we do, right? Everyone's always in North America pointing at Europe and those places or or Japan or Asia and saying look at how much look at how they value their artists look at how they make time and they fund you know these these small art houses and how they they get behind art house film whatever yes they do but there's a reason for that because film there is is a is a folkloric tool it's part of the folk folklore folk I can't say that fucking word today <laughs> folklore folklore it's part, of f- bluer. Fork bluer. Fork it's part of their Folk blur. It's part of their folkblor, but it's part of their on their live conversation about their history, about their society, about their politics, about their their inner inner the workings of their society, and they acknowledge it as not a cool thing that someone can do if they get some equipment, but they acknowledge it as an actual like it's up there respect wise with painting. With photography, with singing, and they see it right. We have a very junk food relationship with film, and that's ironic because. But that goes back to the history of, of North American film, and how uh, it didn't start here, but it was formalized here, and it was made bigger here than anywhere else, and continually far superior, or far superior, far more artistically uh, in. Uh, uh, Involved and 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 human forms of art and film across the world constantly get buried by the cacophony of the American steamroller, right? Right. And even as in a place like India, you mentioned India, right? A land of Jesus. Did fucking history start there or what? Right. Like this is one of the sources of humankind. uh, Thousands and thousands of history of philosophy, knowledge, and art and music and whatever. And even this culture is in the grips of this superficial crap that's drowning out anything of of substance, right? So I think if we want to get people into the theaters and we want to start talking about our short films worth it, are they interesting? Maybe we need to start talking about them uh, and take them out of the context as this kind of dirty peep show or junk food kind of relationship that we have, right? Now it's getting even worse because... There's just so much of it. There's so much content constantly, right? And we need to get artists off their high horses who are the the, the ones that are not getting their film seen. And we need to get the people who are just putting together the formulas and making a bank to also come down off, off of their fucking podium, right? And discuss as a nation, do we value this as an art form? And if so, is it for everyone, because I feel like a lot of regular people, and when I say regular people, I mean, let's say, um, quote unquote, working class people and things like that—people who have, like, you know, have to grind it, right? I don't think that they see themselves in art films, and they don't see themselves in the stuff that's going on in festivals. They think that it's for either artists or that it's for people who are philosophers, or they feel like it's talking down to them. And then, oh, I didn't fu- I didn't understand what the fuck. Uh, a guy lost his arm and then his arm yeah. became sentient. I don't fucking know what like, the fuck that was. Like,
0: where's the fucking story? Where is this taking me? Like, yeah, this you're not talking no to me. Who are you
1: talking to? Well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you talking to, right? You take that same guy, you put him in the film about the streets and about drugs and reality. He's like, fuck, not more of this. I didn't want to. I, don't, I right. live this every day. I can't watch some kid shooting up for, for an hour and a half. Right. I want to see fucking explosions because I need to escape from my life
0: is hard enough for people, especially people who live mundane lives. They want to be taken away. They don't want to be a lot of these people actually understand these movies. They choose not to. They choose not to be open to that world because it's a reflection of what's really going on. And if people can go through 20, 30, 40 years until their deathbed with having a blindfold over Mm -hmm. their their ears and eyes, they'll do it. Because it's too hard to face yourself. It's too hard to face the world that's in front of you. But I I feel like it's important. And I feel that's what makes society better, is people who can face themselves first and who can heal the problems that they have inside. And I feel like the people who don't watch these movies and don't listen to this music... Not saying they're not saying it's a bad choice or, you know, they're they're falling down because of it, but I do feel like they're hiding from something. You know, and I feel there's all forms of art and there's all different ways of looking at something, but a lot of these movies cater to people who want to shut themselves
3: down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they work within because the thing is, like the uh, the people who want to, the people who are willing to consume these these more artistic films and the films with more open ended questions without these these heavy handed conclusions. Typically, these people aren't always people that uh, have a lot of money as well, right? So it doesn't necessarily fit into the big money making twenty dollar popcorn. Twenty dollar soda, twenty dollar exactly. ticket, twenty dollar parking. Uh, people want to feel like if I'm paying for something, I'm paying for something. I'm getting yeah. my money's worth. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to pay eighty dollars to take my girlfriend or family or whatever into something to, that's fucking uh, depressing. depressing. Yeah, exactly. So the people that are willing to go in to see these these more artistic films that are that are asking these bigger questions without necessarily giving you the answers afterwards those people don't necessarily have the money to be paying 80 dollars to go see it so there needs to be i feel like there needs to be a some kind of infrastructure for those people or so at least some kind of community but to, to me think. a great filmmaker is one who can do both because i think
0: i think the point of making something is to entertain people i think you want to give them something that that will that will affect them in the way that they comp- they can comprehend. As a filmmaker, that's what I try to do as well. Right. So
1: I think it's taking both approach. You clearly you know, succeeded as well. Yeah, You're bring balance that balancing act. You've been you've it off.
0: Yes, and bringing someone, well, I hope I have brings someone into a realm where they can identify with the character. They can follow them without feeling bored, and they can come out of the story learning something. Mm. Mel Gibson some, said something like this. It goes, the, our our job is to entertain. I love him as a director. I think he takes a really interesting approach. You know, I could sit here and name all my favorite, you know, Peter Greenaway and uh, Harmony Corinne and all these, like, really artful and knowled- knowledgeable directors, but it's not everybody who likes that kind of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But I, th- I think the job of a filmmaker is to try to appeal to, to a broader audience and to be able to say something and touch people. Yeah. How can you do both? And I say, I think some of the greatest movies ever made have done both. I think that Stanley Kubrick is still one of the most captivating filmmakers ever. He's not my favorite, but I, I really love what he does. And I really love the fact that he's touched so many people. Whether working class people, you know, average mom, pa, everybody's seen Clockwork Orange for some reason. Right. There's something about the way he delivers a story that's really interesting. So I think you know you can look at a guy like M- Michael Bay and then you can look at someone like like Peter Greenaway and extreme left, extreme right, but how do we get in the middle? How can we make movies that everybody can talk about and sit around and, and have a discussion? Yeah. you know just like just like good TV shows you know I think the first season of House of Cards or Breaking Bad mm. Mr. anybody can see that. Someone who loves art and someone who, who, doesn't, you know. And I think you can come away from that and actually have something to say.
1: I think maybe that's why series two are kind of the, a, kind of a liberation of filmmakers in a many in many ways. Absolutely, Be- because it takes away that maybe that hamstring, of of having to bring it all together in a third act. You get to evolve the story organically. You get to do as much listening as you want to your audience. And shut them off when you feel like you have the info you needed and evolve and realize that nobody gives a shit about Bart Simpson and Homer is the, the key to the whole thing. Like that to me, I think this like the series format, I think has changed movie making forever. And there's it's not accidental why the best shit now is there in that yeah. form. And, and I not, think
0: most people would argue this, which for me is a little bit sad, but I understand it. And that there's shows that I really like as well. I just feel like film in general is not what it used to be. And it, it's definitely dying down. And, and And series are really taking over right now. But there's, and there's great series as but well.
1: The series are just films. Right. They're, they're just <laughs> the good well, ones. They're, they're just really one big arc. My problem with series is that
0: I feel... And like when I'm watching a two hour movie, I expect the two hour movie to really be con like a great film is every moment, every scene will captivate you and you want to go back and you want to rewatch it. I feel with with series, there's a lot of dull moments. There's a lot of filler. And that to me is a problem because that, uh, I want to watch of Breaking
3: Bad with the fly. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but I I think that's a great series. though. that's probably one of the best. So ones. You know what episode I'm talking about? The entire yes. episode is them trying to kill a fly in the meth right. lab. Right? But I think they did that on purpose. But you'll I think have... they did that episode because they needed 13 right. episodes and they blew their budget on on all the other. They needed to do something really cheap. And then so, and and, and it's possible. Although, I'm pretty sure it's confirmed. Like, like, I had to
0: stop House of Cards halfway through the third season because there were so many of those moments that were just painful. You know, you just, it was, it started turning into a soap opera. And it always was. It had that formula, but it was very captivating. It was really much in, like, It it was dangerous. Yeah. There was something so unique and different about it. And I think in the third season, all of a sudden, you have. You have these characters. It's a lot of one-on-one and a lot of useless banter. And it was like, okay, get to the point because you did before. It's like you're breaking your structure. And it's almost as if a producer is saying, okay,
1: stretch we got to fill it. the space. Yeah, we just got okayed for three more seasons. They stretch ordered it. 13 episodes. Yeah. We need to fucking give them I think episodes. for Breaking Bad, what worked in its favor, where I think that it didn't stick out as much, the, uh, the stretching... Is because the ennui, like the boredom and the banality of it is kind of was part of the flavor. Yeah, that's true. The wasteland nature of Arizona and the the sort of like that fly thing made perfect sense because it is a hot fucking desolate place. Yeah. Right. Where you kind of like if they weren't for technology... It's like Canada. No one would live really there for very long. And it's also I the character
3: be- descending into madness a little bit. Yeah, as well. I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Fuck that, you. I said it. No, you didn't. Say you it You said it in my voice. I said it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> instead <laughs> of
0: having like <laughs> useless banter, there was there was, was a lot of meaningful guy. moments. <laughs> it's like everything they showed in that show You're was was show there for a that, reason. God, sure,
1: true. although not everything, but a lot. I felt like the the parts where I had without descending into a view of Breaking Bad, I felt that where it aired or where it got on my nerves. I felt like a lot of the show's storylines were as a result of incredibly stupid decisions by the main characters, where you could believe, you could stretch the belief the first couple of times, but then at some point it seemed like he was just uh, setting a fire under his ass just so there would be like a a drama for the next, a climax for the next uh, arc, right?
0: It was definitely a show based on entertainment, and I agree with you with that. I felt. I felt like it was a little too extreme at times, and I would have liked more of a, just more of more of a morality behind a lot of what was happening. I think there was, but I I felt like they focused on it less. Whereas with Sopranos, which I think is the greatest show of all time, really? um, in terms of drama, I, I
1: yeah I, I love that show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not interesting as in you're an idiot. Interesting as in really. I mean, inter- I find that very interesting. Because <laughs> I've realized people use that. Nobody thought that that's what you were saying. Until you said it. <laughs> okay, uh, I was, then I, I should follow bad. that up. But I sometimes say interesting when I mean I th- you're a fucking moron. <laughs> and this was not one of those times. But thank you. Go on, the Sopranos.
0: Yeah, sopranos. I I just felt like. What they did is that they were always open to changing with that show. And I think they were always open to taking a new path. And you could tell they had a lot of fun making that show. And uh, I think it became less about a gangster show. And it really became a a show about humanity and the way that people deal with each other. And I I feel for that reason it was so interesting. And and the fact that every season changed. uh, No episode was structured like the one before. It was always different. And, and and a lot of drama shows there's there's a very usual there's a pattern and you're you're, you're you know, there's the, the open like C S I for example, which I think is mindless shit. The way it's written anyway. Um It's always the same. You know, you see how the person died. Then you have the people come in. And at the end, it's solved.
1: They don't even hide it. They call it procedurals. (laughs) It's the same show over and over and over again. It's very, very
0: difficult to watch. But, I
1: mean, we used to do that in the old days, too. It's just we had more lovable characters with humanity, like Columbo. Was right. the same shit every time, but goddamn yeah. was Peter Falk watchable? And did right. you love his bumbling, fucking, like buffoonish acting? You yeah. Couldn't but, wait
3: till that. I guess I'm just one more thing. I'm tired or of seeing one like more thing. <laughs> um, people
1: who look
0: like models trying to solve crimes. Like go. it doesn't appeal to me.
1: They're super cops, but also have time to do the lab work, but also have time to drive around exactly. Hummers and go to clubs. And they and,
0: have this like mild interest that drags on for five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely. This is a nerd's
1: idea. What cool people do this is right. what jerry brockhammer is i
0: want to see real shit you know i want to see the fucking guy come home and drink 10 fucking beers that would in be the wire and then smoke oh yeah well that's that's what the wire was that's was on a an- whole new level but that that's show, the yeah. anti that's the
1: anti csi right that's the, right? That's right. the antidote i, I guess wanna
0: see real life if you're trying to show me real life in real situations then connect me to these characters so i don't get why people like these shows so much Really? After watching two, three episodes, it's like, seriously? You are that, you shutting your fucking brain off? Maybe they're doing exactly what you were saying before. They're just creating their little fucking
1: boxes. There's two things I'd like to say about that. Ooh, One, I like that. shut the fuck up, Danny. Number two, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I'd like to say is this. Um, Welcome I, to the show. <laughs> we're here talking with Jason Andrews. <laughs> uh, the first thing I'd like to say is, I think that the series format, which is on fire right now, is also indicative of how tired uh, traditional film is. And I feel like in the end, the shift away from traditional film and obsession is going to give film a really, really badly needed break from being the main focus of entertainment. As long as it becomes something that's worthwhile. We're going to come back to it. History has... if, If you look at the history film started as a, a as a technological attraction show, right? It was come see the machine that makes the lights and then some and then come see it film, a bunch of mundane shit that happens every day that you never saw captured on film, and then someone started telling stories. You know what's really
0: interesting? Short film is, and short documentary is actually becoming the new format and people don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like break.com or Vimeo or YouTube, everybody's watching short documentaries and short films yep. constantly yep. vice and, and people now are making their own short films and showing them online yep. like i see all these vine videos and it's teenagers making these little collage videos that last like 15 seconds brilliant yes. yes and people love them this is great we are bringing the medium in a way that it's we can cycle. share with everybody mm-hmm. but the only problem is you know we still have to work Regular jobs, and we're not able to, to you know uh, sustain ourselves doing these things. And it would be great, you know. I know some people have YouTube channels and they're making a lot of money, but it would be great for for all these artists to be able to make a living off it. But unfortunately, if we did that, then everybody would want to want to be an artist. I agree
3: with you to a certain degree, but I also feel like one of the the pitfalls and one of the more disturbing and sinister uh, aspects of YouTube and Vine and all that. It's not necessarily just that people are into the shorter format it's the, it's the fact that people don't have the attention span for a longer format well that's
0: why i'm saying that that short film is because a lot of people are talking especially in the art industry that that short film is suddenly going to be on a larger platform because of that
3: but but only if it's like Snap, 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 in like quick cuts, everything really, really like they cut everything out of it.
1: It, Like, all of
3: those really popular YouTube uh, videos, all the big YouTube stars.
1: The fake timing?
3: They cut all, yeah. So that's every, like, it's the, they cut all the dead space. Every sentence is like one into the other. They don't even finish their own sentences. It's to create fake timing. Yeah. Which they
1: don't naturally have.
3: They don't naturally have the timing. So that with through editing, it's like the quick, 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 quick thing that people don't have the attention span anymore to, to, to have any dead space whatsoever it
0: could be yeah. why people like going to see Michael Bay movies so much because it is this moment by moment thing like you said you're not really thinking about what you saw before because it doesn't make any sense but what's happening in the moment is probably more interesting that's, than, than what you saw before so you're always into this, you know, this new thing,
3: or at least there's there's something that's that's uh, that's that's hitting on all, this firing on all, all of your cylinders, yeah, right. That's enough for you to not have to think, you know.
1: I think, I have maybe a, a bit of a um, controversial theory about this, but I don't think of Michael Bay as bad anymore. I don't like him, and I don't like the 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 messages that he puts in his films, and I don't like the the disposable, single serving nature of it. And the superficiality of it but i think what we're seeing now is film becoming truly uh, language and now being spoken in various forms and right. the fact is is that as much as i groan when i see an ad for a ninja turtles movie or where the fuck those guys are up to or even batman versus superman and i'm a huge comic book geek right and uh i just like i'm exhausted when i see the the trailers now I think we need to stop thinking in terms of what's high art, low art, what's substance, what's hollow and realize that now everyone's transmitting and there's going to be a blowout. There's going to be like a surge and we're seeing it now and it's going to culminate and there's going to be a huge explosion and we're going to go back to the things that made sense again because we do this historically with everything. We find new toys, right? We go crazy with them. And then after a while, we come back to the figurines that we love the most. And those are still the most precious to us. And we go back to that conversation. The ones where we could pay attention that's really interesting Mm -hmm.
0: i think people realize if we just show what already works over and over again somehow people follow that just like csi or mcdonald's you know exactly what you're getting every single time as a consumer you're happy because you're paying for what you know for and familiarity is one of the biggest things when it comes to consumers
1: and it's what's it. keeping people out of those those yeah. festivals too so yeah. built, and built it worked audiences. for a
0: marketing company and honestly that's what it came down to it came down to showing the most superficial aspect of exactly it was always like the same colors the same thing and it was like as soon as you thought outside of the box and you compared like a with b a would always win always right. yeah And there was just more people that would click on their computers on a than b and and we couldn't understand it but we always knew the more superficial we went with the way that we showed something it would always work so i just realized like that's how it works in this world and i hope it changes i hope like you guys say i hope there's this big explosion and that we can go down and really look look at things differently I but we'll we'll never know right stick to your guns I think but but that being said there's still a lot of room for really great artists and I think all of us here can can agree that we like people that other people don't like yeah. you know. And I think we're all part of that and that is the general consensus and I think that people do look for new things and different things and I think even the the average person will open Pandora's box once in a while and will try to find something new and I think it's important for me as an artist or a filmmaker to keep
1: doing that. I well, think it's we certainly hope you keep doing it man cuz uh, I mean like I, this is literally in my introduction to you and I haven't actually had a chance to really see your films but like I want to see them now just having talked to you right so i like i really hope that you keep doing what you're doing uh despite whatever you think is going on and whether it's appreciated or not like i really hope you keep doing this i i think it is your calling from what from my very surface first meeting right Mm -hmm. uh i mean just this has been absolutely amazing so far uh and and i really feel like like i really hope you you're going to come back and talk to us some more would love because we man. even haven't. We wanted to talk to you about your films. We wanted to get into the nitty gritty, but you know, like that's the beauty of this podcast is that um, there is no time limit on this, right? And you can come back as many times. Uh, you know, Danny has certainly proven that we can't keep people out of this uh, this podcast, even if we want to. <laughs> Thanks uh, for coming, guys. <laughs> but seriously, uh, dude, this has been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, for me as well. Super organic, yeah. and uh, thank you for, for sharing this, these ideas with us. And please promise us that you're gonna come back, even if it's to shoot the shit or talk about anything. Anytime you're welcome yeah, to zombie I, version. There's so story. many <laughs> more things that that
0: I want to talk about. Yeah, it was really interesting. You guys uh, have quite the podcast. I hope it blows
1: up. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah.
0: I think it will though. I think uh I think you just have to bring the right people in and uh Yeah, we're in that phase oyster, now I think where oyster, we're, as they say.
1: we're kind of nervous because we know we got something and we're afraid to uh almost reluctant to promote it right because <laughs> we don't want to make it about that this has always been about just like richard always says really well is that we'd be having these conversations anyway yeah definitely. and so we're just gonna go we're just gonna keep doing it and uh, hopefully uh, you'll come back
2: we'll try not to let the fame ruin us
1: that's right yeah. i definitely will let's do something this summer okay
0: yeah sounds good
2: yeah. okay so You're
1: uh, just to maybe wrap this up is there anything that where can we see your work? I mean, we're gonna put the links. But if there's something, right. if somebody, let's say, wanted like one chance,
0: okay. So here's the thing to check out your stuff. Yeah, my, my crew, my crew is called Les Enfants Terribles, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the guy, some of the people on Les Enfants Terribles did Turbo Kid, the uh, Canadian uh, post-apocalyptic, Sensation, yeah. yeah. Gore movie that did super well all over the world that racked up a bunch of awards. We're we're seven people, seven members. Uh, We're launching our website the first of May, and uh, we're just waiting. I think it's around Fantasia time. I'm finally because I was under distribution with my last two short films. They're going up. Uh, I just have a new one that's going to a big festival soon. Um, so you'll be able to find them on, uh, on YouTube, Vimeo in a few months, uh, l'ouragan Fuck You Tabarnak, the other one's Le Pédophile, and, uh, the, the one after that is Vidruel, and uh, I'm finally working on, uh, two new feature films that we're in development for, uh, with Sudex, so it's pretty exciting, and, uh, we'll see where that takes us. Do we'll you know it. what
2: the website's gonna be for Les Enfants Terribles?
0: I think it's lesenfantsterribles.com. com. Okay. But I'm I'm not a hundred percent right now, so don't take my word for it. Cool. But I'm sure if you Google Les Enfants you'll find something. Yeah, cool. I th- it might be Les Enfants D'Airbus home video. Well, I think uh, it's a work in progress. Well, we're definitely right gonna now. keep an Whatever eye on, on
1: on what you're doing, man, because I think what Thanks. you're doing is really cool.
0: Check our whole crew. I, everybody in the crew is doing something really interesting right now, not just me. So, uh, and the people that work with us as well, you get they work. Uh, they all work in the industry on different projects. So, I think it's really important that when you see these short films, you look at the credits and you follow uh, you follow the work of all the other artists that are implicated because it's not just me. It's a uh, it's a work of labor and love and we're making these movies for hardly any money, and uh, we we just want to promote something new. That 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 coming together, and and that we're we're making stories that we feel are important. You know, we're trying to be a little more dangerous than. Than what we're used to and <laughs> well, taking
1: chances well, yeah, the pit would definitely be that the emblematic of that attitude it's been a
0: crazy ride for us this movie really I'm, I'm actually uh, extremely glad to turn the page but I think having it online is going to create um, a, a whole new buzz yeah for Great. sure just because of uh, uh, a particular scene that I think is going to get a lot of uh, people talking
3: awesome Danny <laughs> also uh, if anyone hasn't seen Turbo Kid you should uh, take a chance to go see it uh, you'll get to see Ara he, uh, he blows up he's one of the goons that gets blown up oh that's, one an new, that's Michael, great
0: Michael Aronside Laurence Lebeuf, uh, RKSS directed it uh, Anouk Yohan and, and Francis and uh, François Simard I mean love and, Michael Aronside. yeah it's it's a great movie it's a lot of fun and if you're gonna watch it don't download it because that that's been a problem uh, especially with independent films support you know spend the four dollars or five dollars on iTunes and uh yeah, just skip
1: your latte that day <laughs> yeah there you go skip a and latte support the arts support the arts i
0: think that's the most important thing is if you're gonna give money give it to the people who need it uh, encourage what they're doing uh don't just download it and 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 like them on facebook or twitter them uh you know sh- show their love uh, monetarily i think they'll appreciate
1: that definitely definitely cool man well thank you for coming awesome. out Danny, always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. I hope we can hear some music from you soon.
3: Yeah, there's some stuff coming.
1: Yeah? Yeah. I know you're a top secret guy, so we're not going to push you too far on that. But you will. You must promise that you'll share.
3: Yeah, I'm working hard, man. When the cookies come in. I turned my closet into a vocal booth. I'm working on some vocals at this point. Uh, Nice. Yeah.
1: So let us know when you come out of the closet and yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. we'll take it from there. <laughs> for your Sounds exclusive
3: uh, debut on in Yeah, yeah,
1: Hall exactly. Podcast. Yeah. This yeah. is your stage. No problem, man. Well, listen, <laughs> this has been awesome, guys. Uh, Fire in a hole.
2: It's always a pleasure. Love you guys. Fire in yeah, the hole. Nice. Thanks for coming, guys. Check us out on iTunes. Uh, rate, Subscribe. Uh, leave us some comments on uh, SoundCloud.
1: Yep, we're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Um, spread the word if you like what we're doing. Um, let us know if you have thoughts about the show. And, uh, you know, send us messages if you want to be part of the show and if you think you have something cool to contribute.
2: Fire in the Whole Podcast at gmail.com.
1: There you go. So, Fire, Fire in the Whole Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Check it out. And thank you for listening.
2: Thanks very much, guys.